Welcome to Pick Me Up, I'm Scared, the podcast. I'm your host, Madeline, and today, Kenna is out, so we have a special guest host, co-host. If you've listened to our bonus episodes, you will recognize this person. It is Lizzie. Hi. Uh, Lizzie is here with us today. Lizzie is somebody who actually works with me and Kenna at our normal, normal day job. And Lizzie has been part of the book club that we just wrapped up over on our Patreon. Uh, So this is Lizzie's first time doing a real episode. Are you nervous? Yep. I think it's going to be fine. I mean, I think so too. I think so too. Yeah, I think it's going to be totally fine. You've been warmed up. You know, the Patreon obviously is a lot more chill. Um, but yeah, if you have not heard Lizzie on the Patreon, our Patreon is $3 a month and you can find us at patreon.com slash pick me up. I'm scared. And we, like I said, just wrapped up doing our book club over there, which is very interesting. And we're going to get into some other non book club bonus content coming up this month, which you might also hear Lizzie on. Oh, I don't know. I hope so. You just show up sometimes. It's true. Yeah. Lizzie's like the, the ghost of pick me up. I'm scared pod. That's good. You just show up. That's good. Yeah. Um, So because this is Lizzie's very, very first episode, I uh, was not going to surprise you with the topic. No, I wouldn't let you. You tried. Yeah, I did try. Lizzie wanted to make sure that she had time to do research. So Lizzie, do you want to share what our topic is for today's episode? Um, Our topic is SpawnCon. Yes, it's SpawnCon. It's sponsored content. Um, So I thought still I would start with a question, though, to get us going. And my question is... Lizzie, have you ever been paid to post content online? No, have you? Um, I have. Okay, I've gotten a bunch of shit for free. Um, but I've only been paid to post content one time, and it was Diesel. Oh, when? It was, like, years ago. It was, like, five or six years ago, Diesel paid me, like, $600 to post in, like, a t-shirt. Whoa. Yeah. Was um, it cool? <clears throat> it was fine it was like a stupid t-shirt it's crazy that it's only happened to you one time with like a million over a million followers yeah I have a lot of followers you would think that it would happen and hundreds <clears throat> of thousands for years too right yeah because I have like 200,000 followers on Instagram and I have 1.6 million on TikTok and before that way back in the day I had a fashion blog back in like the lookbook.nu days I remember I was number two girl on lookbook hey and only one sponsored only Those. one person is paid. People have, like I said, sent me a lot of free shit. Like, I get a lot of free shit. Um, one of the most famous things that I got sent for free on TikTok, because I posted about it because it was so funny, is that Tabasco just sent me. I remember. Yeah, more Tabasco <laughs> than any one person could humanly use ever in their life. Um, and also, they sent me Tabasco tube socks, which I still wear. I remember. Yeah, you've seen me wear the Tabasco tube socks. And then also, like, randomly, all these vegan food places started sending me food but like they're not paying me to post about them so I'm not going to so I just get like random free vegan food at my door I mean that's like the best thing ever it's pretty good but I'm like literally I'm cheap if you pay me a hundred bucks I would talk about this yeah but so now I just get like random free food sometimes free food and free clothes I mean what more can you ask for it's pretty good it's pretty nice but it would be cool to get paid yeah because I've maintained a social media presence for, like, a really long time. No, you would definitely think, because I know a lot of people who get paid to post. I know a lot of people get paid to post, too, and they have fewer followers than I do, but, like, the types of followers they have, maybe, are just, like, the types of people who would buy things. 
I have also been on like the other end of that though at like different jobs and then they always like seek micro influencers because they're like oh this person will do it for like 50 bucks uh we don't want to pay you know whatever little do they know I would do it for 50 bucks too yeah 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 I really would um but yeah no so I have been paid just the one time with the diesel thing but it wasn't even that big of a stretch because I used to wear diesel, like, in the early 2000s. I mean, I didn't wear it. I would go window shop at the diesel store. I had to take, like, a road trip with my best friend in high school to even go see a diesel store. Whoa. Like, we would drive to L.A. or San Francisco and then just walk into a diesel store and we couldn't afford anything. And we would just, like, stare at it all and touch things. I completely missed that entire era. The Y2K diesel era. Well, because I, I was five. Right. You were five and I was, like, <laughs> 15. Yeah. That's a big difference. Um... So, you know, whatever. That was my attempt at sponsored content. Only one time. It's a lot of money, though. It's a lot of money. 600 bucks? That's sick. It's a lot of money. It's really, really good. Um. All right. So, you've never posted. I've posted once. I don't think so. I feel like people would pay you to post things. I, I've had, like, a lot of things where I felt pressured to post something. But oh. I was never, like, paid. Never paid. No. Interesting. Um... So, like, what, I guess to kick off the episode on sponsored content, it helps, like, let's talk about what exactly makes something sponsored content versus just, like, a regular ad. Okay, so I define SponCon as it refers to really any media or product made for consumption that advertises or features another external brand in exchange for payment, um but in a way that's made to feel organic. So the consumer isn't supposed to realize that they're being advertised to. So it's like subliminal in your mind. Yeah. I think that SponCon is really like maybe a little bit smaller than that in the official definition, but I figured we would like add a bunch of like product placement and like advertising. Yeah. I feel like sponsored content to me doesn't have to be subliminal because I feel like the people who post a lot of sponsored content always do those really obvious captions, like, on Instagram posts. definitely not always. Right. So you can, like, tell that it's an ad, um, but it's just really weird. So I feel like sponsored content is, like, in my head at first it was social media specific, but the more you think about it, you're like, no, sponsored content has kind of always been a thing because back even in the 90s when, like, celebrity paparazzi photos were super popular – the thing you would do as a fashion brand is you would just send PR packages to celebrities and hope, like, some celebrity, I don't know, like, Lindsay Lohan would be wearing one of your shirts while, like, throwing up outside of a nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard, right? And then you'd end up in People Magazine, and everyone would be like, Lindsay Lohan's such a mess. I wish I had her clothes. Who makes this shirt? I wonder if um, there are, like, these street-style photographers in, like, the, probably, like, the 60s and 70s in New York that would photograph for, like, the New York Times style section, and they would, like, shoot all these, like, socialites, and they'd go to, like, the Upper East Side, like, rich neighborhoods, so I wonder if brands would, like, send those people clothes to try to get their clothes in the style section. Okay, so that makes sense. So then, by extension, isn't sponsored content also just when a huge fashion brand would gift a celebrity clothes to wear on the red carpet to, like, oh, a movie yeah. premiere or something? Um, What's the difference? I also read, like, even in the 1800s, um, books would have sponsored content. Like, people would write products into books. Like, product placement. Yeah. Okay, so I feel like sponsored content has to be somebody is making something that someone could perceive to be art or culture, all right? Not a commercial enterprise, necessarily. And then a commercial entity with a product to sell wants to just slide it on in there 
so that it blurs the line between advertisement and art. Yeah. I feel like that's I what it that's, is. I think that's what it is. It's pretty hard to come up with a definition, though, because I feel like the default brain thing is just, like, Instagram. Right. It's, like, just all Instagram. Right. And the reality is, like, sponsored content can't just be Instagram because, yeah, there are so many other forms of media that have relied on it. But now that's probably, like, the most prevalent. I think that's the most common, for sure. Um, so, Lizzie, you had some examples of your favorite types of sponsored content, right? Um, yeah, I do. Um, okay, wait. Um, so, well, there's just, like, they're not really types of sponsored content. I was gonna, I'll go back to that. But, um, there's, like, one reference, this, um, Deanna Templeton's book. She's married to Ed Templeton, the pro skater. Yes. And she had this photo book called Your Logo Here, where she photographed all these kids at skate brand events, and they would spray paint the logos onto their stomachs and stuff, and, like, they're really cool pictures of just, like, kids covered in, like, the DC Shoes logo. Oh, yeah. Um, and then um, her husband, Ed, wrote this, like, really boomery essay in the back about how, like, the kids don't even know that the brands are making them into billboards. Um, and, um, and that also reminded me, my dad would, like, not buy me Abercrombie shirts because he'd be like, oh, you're, like, making your body a billboard. Like, you should only wear a shirt if you, like, really support the message you know what? i totally remember that though there was a trend like in the late 90s and early 2000s especially where it was not quite like streetwear status where it was just like you wore a brand because it was a brand but it would be like mall brands like abercrombie and fitch or hollister yeah. and you would just wear shirts that had the logo on it and i do remember adults were freaking out they were like the kids are making themselves it's in really a billboard funny. it's really funny yeah and you're just like oh no this is just a cool store i like the store but i could see how it is yeah you're like branding yourself like nascar style um like what we did yeah with the tunnel vision tattoos exactly i was gonna talk about that too that's like a little yeah we're gonna talk about the tunnel vision tattoos in a second and then um the other reference that i really really like is this like super nerdy podcast called flash forward do you know it no it's this lady rose eveleth who's like she's a really cool writer um but she did an episode of her, it's a futurist podcast, and she did an episode that imagines a future where um, you're constantly being, everybody's constantly being listened to, and then you get a small stipend every time you mention a brand to your friend, just like in casual conversation. That's really, good. really good. Yeah, that's and, really and they, good. Like, acted out the whole thing. It's really nerdy. Um, I like that. I'm a loser, yeah. so I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Um, I had some examples of some sponsored content also. They weren't my favorite things, though. Well, I have my favorite sponsored content after you. Oh, okay. All right. So mine are... I think that mine would be, like, the opposite of my favorites. These are things that I just thought were so dystopian and weird and fucked up. Okay. And I feel like these are things that everybody listening, like, you probably remember most or at least some of these. So the number one most dystopian sponsored content I can remember in recent years was Kim Kardashian advertising the flat tummy tea appetite suppressant lollipops. Oh, I wrote that down too. Yeah, with the caption, you guys at Flat Tummy Co. just (laughs) dropped a new product. They're appetite suppressant lollipops, and they're literally unreal. (laughs) They're giving the first 500 people on their website 15% off. Not even a lot of money off, okay? So if you want to get your hands on some, you need to do it quick. Hashtag suck it. Hashtag suck it. Yes. Yeah. This was a a really, yeah, because it's a lollipop. This was the most dystopian one. And 
sometimes like the internet is a force for good and just everybody on Twitter was like this is the most fucked up thing you could possibly advertise how did flat tummy T get enough money to pay for Kim Kardashian to do that okay this is a good question who is funding flat tummy T because they are everywhere and they are paying everybody to make this fucked up they reached out to me once there's no way it does anything no it's really bad for you obviously it feeds into like horrifying like eating disorder culture obviously makes people feel like shit and it's really unhealthy for you it's just like bad 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 just googling who owns (laughs) who owns it what do you find out with um yes habitha tonga but i don't know i'm sure that there's more yeah there's got to be a backer because they do the flat tummy tea industrial complex yeah we got it that'll be in next podcast that'll be its own bonus episode on flat tummy tea yeah because it's really horrifying it's bad um okay so then kim kardashian obviously was like oh i fucked up i did not read the room correctly and had to delete the post because everyone was like this is horrifying you're literally trying to trick people into not eating and make money off of it like what the fuck then the second one which is not that different to me kylie jenner promoted Fit tea body wraps? Oh. It's all these fitness tea companies. Oh, I love this But stuff. they're not fitness, it's so you know. Funny. Fitness no, air so quotes. Funny. It's so fucked up. So the caption on Kylie Jenner's post on Instagram about a body wrap made by a like a laxative tea company. The caption <laughs> said, They're keeping my tummy toned and lean as it gets closer to summer. Uh, and then doctors were like, Who the what the fuck is this? This doesn't do anything. Like, why is she doing this? This is so fucking weird. One doctor got really mad, and he was, like, publicly like, who is stupid enough to believe this is doing something? Um, But the answer is it's not people that are stupid. It's, like, everybody's, like, a victim of the same fucked up narrow beauty standards or that are, like, killing Kim people. Kardashian. Yeah, or this, well, this one was Kylie Jenner. Sorry. But the whole Jenner-Kardashian industrial complex. Right. right. So... Yeah, really, really awful. Um, that reminds me, you know those, like, weight loss magnets? No. They sell, it's, like, like the flat tummy tea stuff, but it's, like, magnets, and you, like, put them on different, it's, like, earrings. Oh, it's, like, pressure points. I don't, it doesn't say anything about pressure oh, points. Oh, okay. It's just, like, they're just, like, magnetic weight loss earrings. Wow, that is really cool. Really wild. Um, So, the third one I had is also similar. It's a dystopian laxative tea thing <laughs> uh this is lisa vanderpump of like vanderpump oh, rules i don't know if i fully know who she is i don't really understand it either but i know like some of our friends are really into vanderpump rules okay. and they talk about it a lot so it's just right. like some rich lady who owns a restaurant maybe oh yeah okay and there's a reality tv I, show about I, it i know i remember what it was sir okay so she advertised on her instagram something called a slender tea talks horrifying awful um and it is a tea detox again. So these diet teas, though, that all these people are advertising, by the way, they give you bowel issues, diarrhea. They can potentially lead to heart problems, muscle weakness, liver damage. Like, they're really fucking bad for you. Um, and obviously, they're, like, psychologically, it's really fucked up for people to be seeing this as though it's normal and okay. Like, starve yourself and poison yourself so you can be tiny. Haha, <laughs> It's, like, deranged, right? And then also, Amber Rose did an Instagram post for flat tummy tea also. Oh my god, these are all flat tummy tea. These are all flat tea tummy tea. tea. Well, they're different companies doing the same thing. Okay, yeah, they're so all So we have tea flat tummy tea, we have fit tea body wraps, we have slender tea talks, yeah. So Amber Rose did one for this flat tummy tea product 
uh, which was an organic pregnancy tea. And everybody was like, you should not have a flat tummy. You you have a human in you. That's a baby in there. Like, what is this fucking ad? This is so weird. Um, so I think Amber Rose had to delete that too. I think that that's too. my favorite one. Yeah, to have a flat tummy <laughs> when you're pregnant. <laughs> it was wild. Um, okay, so then the other kind of category of this stuff that I just always have thought was so weird, which you've probably seen, is the hair growth supplements oh yeah i love that stuff yes okay so chloe kardashian advertised that sugar bear hair gummy vitamin thing and i've seen so many influencers advertise these so this company must pay right um yeah and their gummy bears are supposed to make your hair grow and everybody takes the same pictures of them with like the little gummy bear in their mouth um, this has been the hair growth supplements thing has been like a, a scam for a long i'm sure flat tummy tea too but it's been going on for, like, a super long time, and there were all these, like, pyramid schemes in, like, the early 2000s around the hair growth stuff, and they would make these t-shirts with, like, the name of the company, and on the back it would have the inches that your hair grew. Oh, yes. It's so cool. The shirts are kind of cool, it's actually. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The shirts are kind of cool. Um, also, Ashley Tisdale advertised a similar one, but it was called Hair Burst. Oh. So similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I had a few examples that were not really fucked up beauty ones. Um... Well, no, actually, I have one more that is a fucked up bunny, uh, beauty one. I forgot. This one is JWoww, and JWoww advertised something called a girly curve waist trainer. Oh, my God. I forgot about waist trainers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So JWoww from the Jersey Shore right. was like, yes, um, this. Okay, and then the last three, I swear, are not fucked up beauty things. Okay. Uh, one was Post Malone doing a collab with Crocs that was all advertised on his Instagram. Oh. Yeah, so if you wanted Post Malone Crocs, oh. that's the thing you could have got. And then Kristen Bell uh, did this whole, like, Instagram ad campaign for American Express. And there's this, like, picture of her, like, on her couch eating popcorn, but, like, with oh. American Express pillows. I think I remember that. Yeah, I'm not really sure what's happening there. And then Kim Kardashian also, this is my favorite one, did an Instagram post about the secret life of pets, too. No movie. <laughs> not even the first one. Wait, the wait what's the post? Um, it's, like, a picture maybe of, like, her dog in a pool. You should definitely look it at. She's just like, haha, my dog's so silly. Just like the silly pets. And yeah, this was the post. Oh, this, my God. Yes, wait, yes, yes, yes. It was a series of posts That's advertising so the secret life of pets, too. The second one. That one is my favorite. That movie's actually pretty sick. Have you seen it? Yeah, I can't remember why or how, but it was awesome. Well, we're watching Paddington 2. I know. Yeah, I'm excited. That's an upcoming one. Um, Yeah, so those were kind of some of my favorite horrifying, bad, strange ones. Did you have more examples of things that spoke to you, Lizzie? Um, Well, I have, like, a bunch of bad examples, too, but I also have good examples, like my favorite ones. Okay. But I think... Let's do a palate cleanser and do your favorite ones first, and then okay. do bad examples. Okay, well, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm just, like, so easily influenced by, like, everything. I watched this movie the other day called Ruby in Paradise, and it was just about a girl who, like, went to the beach, and then I was like, oh, I have to go to the beach now, and then I did. Um, so it wasn't really, like, sponsored, but it just, like, works so well when it's, like, something so, like, integrated into, like, a whole, like, world. Yes. Um, but, okay, so... Um, in, like, 2015, maybe 2016, um, internet girl who, like, your friend. Yes. Um, she worked, like, a ton with Depop, and it's, like, unclear, I guess, like, who really made who, 
But um, all of her, like, posts, like, completely sold me on Depop, and then I started doing Depop, like, super hardcore for, like, years, and it just, like, completely worked. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really interesting, um, because I have personal feelings about that, because I I was friends with Bella, I was close to her, and I was always like, this company's exploiting you, (laughs) you know, because I think that a lot of people did join Depop because of her. I definitely did, and, like, like, all of her posts, like, her, like, America road trip and everything, it just, like, seemed so cool. Yeah, but she's more... Like mild tempered than me, you know. She's just yeah. like it's a symbiotic relationship, yeah. you know. But I was just always like, I think these people are really taking advantage of you. But that's okay. If if you work at Depop and you're listening to me right now, they did. They were. Uh, you can pay me to change my mind about that and oh. make sponsored content about you. Do you um, like that? I slid that in. Depop started. They were like really cool to me too. They were like really nice and like um, because I was like doing it like every day for a while and. They would, like, message me all the time and, like, promote everything. I don't know. It seemed like they were, like... They kind of did... Okay, so there was this guy who worked at Depop when they first started who approached me and a bunch of my friends and was like, if you want to use that the platform, we'll put your stuff on the Explore page. Yeah, they did that And we'll lot. waive all your fees. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, so cool. So I, I did guess... it for a few months, and then he left, and then all of a sudden my fees came back. And then oh. I was like, oh, he was just, like, nice. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he was nice. Um. Okay, anyway... Um, the Twilight Burger King stuff is, like, my favorite stuff ever. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, because I didn't get into Twilight. I was oh too my old God. for it. Okay, I, like, so, missed all of Twilight. Um, well, they can't see, but, um, basically Burger King and Twilight did a collaboration where they printed, like, all the cast of Twilight on, like, the cups and, like, the burger wrappers and everything, and it's, like, the, the burger wrappers. It's, like, the best packaging design I've ever seen in my entire life, and, like, I would, like, never eat Burger King, like, I'm been vegetarian my whole life there's no reason for me to go there but like with the twilight collab that i you know like i I would totally eat burger king you know just to get the twilight collab packaging that makes sense to me um and then the last one was like a mix-up but um you know how magnum ice cream is like the like fashions ice cream no i've never heard of this oh really no so um there's There's special rich people ice cream it's not, it's not, it's, 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 like, a gas station ice cream. Oh. Um, but they, it's just, like, presented as, like, really, like, chic, um, and, like, glamorous, and, like, this whole entire time in all of the ads for it, I thought it was Haagen-Dazs, so I started buying Haagen-Dazs, feeling really glamorous eating Haagen-Dazs. I feel like Haagen-Dazs is glamorous. It is much nicer than Yeah. Magnum. But anyway, um, there's this Vivian Westwood show where all the models, it's from, like, 1994. Um, and all the models are walking down their runway eating Magnum ice cream bars. Um, and then that was what got me into getting ice cream bars. It's like Kate Moss, like, eating an ice cream bar. It's really cool. Yes. And it was like, the the era of skinny girl junk food. Yeah, which is super cursed. Yeah, it's all cursed. Super yeah. cursed. So I feel like sponsored content then, a lot of it does have to do with a lot of these cursed things. Yeah, totally. Like, like weird, like, proto-Tumblr culture, right? Because a lot of sponsored content stuff is, like, you can be skinny and rich and carefree. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, advertising. Yeah, that's, that's what everybody, advertising. everybody wants. That's what they're trying to sell us right? all. I mean, but that stuff has, like, this was, like, in the 90s. I mean, I feel like that's always been, like, present in advertising, like, in, like, the 50s. Right. Um, but in, in, like, the reverse. And then the whole, like, girls eating pizza stuff in, like, yes. 2014. And I think there's just always a version of that. There is. There probably is. Yes. Skinny, skinny, rich, and carefree. Yeah. That's what they're trying to sell us it's all. It's very aspirational. Yeah. What's your, okay, so what are your um, more cursed examples? Okay. So I'm going to go on for a long time. 
Okay, that's great. Let's do it. Um, okay, so um, this was an issue that was talked about a lot, like, I think maybe, like, during COVID, um, where, but it's, like, been an issue for a long time, where local news stations need funding. So then people from the community are like, oh, well, I'll advertise for my local business on the news station and I'll pay for that. So they, like, have the person come on the local news station and the host is, like, talking about them as if they're, like, um, you know, like a pillar of the community and, like, they're just, like, complimenting them and being like, yeah, this dude's, like, real estate business is the one, but they're not necessarily, like, verifying what the people are selling. They're just like, oh, we needed $5,000 and this person was willing to give it to us. Somebody actually approached our business in L.A. for a local news station to do this. um, Yeah, yeah, our work. And then, um, so a bunch of local news stations just took, like, random products, like, invest, like, people who would, like, invest money for you or whatever, um, and then people trusted it because it's their local news, and they're like, oh, like, my city says that, like, this guy is, like, a pillar of the community, like, I'll invest my money with him, but then, um, there were just, like, a bunch of, like, scams and, like, weird products and, like, crooked things. Interesting. Bummer. Yeah, that is a bummer. I think that's like what happens with sponsor content. Yeah, no, it totally is. It's there. It's like the flat tummy tea totally. manifesting in different totally. ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also like super pyramid scheme reminiscent. Like all the pyramid scheme influencing. Yeah, I think so because you're like, um, it's all about like your somebody's credibilities on the line. Yeah. You know, it's like, do you trust me? Like, yeah. it's like a charismatic person that you're supposed to put all your faith into, yeah. and then they're gonna sell you something. Totally. And you're just gonna trust that it's good because they're telling you it's good. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So what else um, did you have in okay. the more dystopian end of things? So, um, well, in music. Um, there's just, like, a bunch of examples, but basically there was this kind of confusing study by this researcher, Storm Glore, at the University of Colorado, who, um, went through the top 30 Billboard song lyrics from 1960 to 2013, but he basically just, like, put all the lyrics together in, like, one document and then took data from that instead of being like, oh, there's more songs now with sponsored content. There's just more, like, product mentions since the year 2000. Oh. So the study was kind of confusing, but, like, more products were mentioned since the year 2000 was the point. Okay. Um, so there's a theory. Right. I think, like, the theory is that um, as... I think that advertising just had to, like, shift. Right. Okay, got it. Now, is the theory that this is, like, organic because, like, brand placement is so much a part of our lives that we align ourselves with the product? Or is the theory that, like, no, an advertising firm is approaching, like, a music producer or a record label and being, like, we want Beyonce to sing about, oh, you it, know. Oh, it's totally both. Yeah, okay, yeah, got yeah, it. totally both. Um, but I think it's that um, it was, like, marking a shift in advertising where, uh, like, advertising groups and companies couldn't get by with just doing, like, magazines or, like, billboards or whatever. They had to, like, get more creative. Yes, totally. Um, or, like, places have always done that, but it became, like, more popular then. Um, but I also think that there's, like, so many, so much, like, uh, world building around brands and relatability that a lot of musicians want to use brands in their music 
and a lot of it's not even sponsored. Yeah, well, we have a friend who's a musician, Baby Lungs, and oh, they yeah. have a song all With, about hot chips and, like, yeah, Cheetos exactly, and stuff. Totally, exactly. And, and it's, like, a part of, it's, like, a way to express, like, their identity and their upbringing and stuff. Yeah, And I think that's interesting. It is. Um, it's really, it's, like, kind of like a chicken or the egg thing, I guess, where it's, like, did that start because bigger artists were getting paid to do it and then it trickled down or um did artists start doing it and then brands were like oh we'll pay you for that yeah that's pretty interesting I mean I know for me just like even in my life not as a product as a person there are certain like shorthands I will use brands to like communicate something about my life like when I'm like I didn't drink water for like the first 28 years of my life I only drank Mountain Dew right and that like tells you something that's like evocative like you understand about my upbringing not because I only drink soda but like because I drink Mountain Dew specifically yeah I mean I find that even when I do photo shoots or like 3d pictures I always want to like I'm I always like fight the urge to put certain products in because it's like totally like sets the tone it is a world building thing yeah Yeah. you understand a lot about people based on like the products that pop up the most frequently in their life yeah um so my examples were young lean and fiji water yeah um and then cemetery and true religion and bang oh yeah Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh um but uh also in music um there was this crazy thing that happened. There was a Rolling Stone article in 2014 um, where Rolling, uh, where sorry, Universal Music Group was selling ad space in old music videos. Um, so it wasn't like, it was like ads literally like edited into the videos like with like um, After Effects, you know? So it's like, it looks, it would look like in the original version, it would be, like, the musician standing in front of nothing, and then in the edited version, it would be the musician standing in front of, like, a Pepsi billboard. Wow. And there are even localized versions of it on Vivo, where, like, in New York, somebody would be getting a Pepsi ad, where somebody in, like, L.A. would be getting a McDonald's ad. Wow. Um, and Far East Movement did it, and for some reason, Far East Movement is, like, always on, like, the cutting edge of tech. I don't even know what, like, any of their songs are, but both of the tech companies that I worked for were, like, Far East Movement was, like, always, like, lingering around and, like, a, a goal to work with What is Far East Movement? It's, like, a band? Yeah, no, they're, like, I think they did, like, uh, Far East Movement song. I think they did, like... Like a G6. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, totally. Yes, like a one-hit wonder. Yeah. Um, but they're super, super down to provide sponsored content for anybody, apparently. Yeah. And so, but a bunch of other um, music videos got ads added into them. And I think it works really well for songs that are, like, nostalgic. So people, like, go back and rewatch the video all the time because they're like, oh, this was, like, my favorite song. Um, and so then they, like, pick up ads that would like make sense in the context and um it's happened with some movies too really yeah it's super super weird whoa it's this company called myriad i think yeah myriad um they had a deal with vivo uh that's so interesting but there's also just in general a lot of investment around like music that's super sentimental to people like do you remember mm-hmm. like I think, like, a year ago, a bunch of investment firms were buying back catalogs from artists so that they could, like, make money off of it forever, and people were, like, trying to, like, invest in, like, back catalogs of, like... Oh, it's like buying art, yeah. but you get royalties on it forever. 
I think it's like yeah I think it's like way less of a scam than buying art I think it's like real got it it's more of like a product yeah maybe a scam for the artist yeah well that's why like Taylor Swift did that whole thing where she had to like re-record everything yeah, right yeah, yeah, because yeah, somebody yeah. owned her masters yeah yeah that's so interesting yeah coupling capitalizing off of nostalgic music um okay so this cw has a deal with microsoft and i thought that that was so funny there's like this really funny article i'll just read the beginning of it it's from vox um for much of the past decade the characters of the cw's nighttime soap operas supernatural and otherwise have been forced into an unusual predicament they're all forced to use Bing, Microsoft's search engine. Wow. Moreover, they are forced to use the word Bing as a verb. Let's Bing it. Uh, yeah. On the CW, <laughs> Bing is a solution to all life's problems. Stepmom got fake cancer from her ex-husband? Bing it. And then it just, like, goes on and on. But it's, like, super funny because it's just, like, so absurd because nobody uses Bing. Yeah. You know what's interesting is I feel like whatever TV network used to have the show Bones on it. Oh, I've never seen that. Okay, I don't know. It's yeah. some TV show. It's got... Zoe Deschanel's sister in it, Emily Deschanel, right? She's like a forensic anthropologist who fights crime. It's copaganda. It's a copaganda show with bones in it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But whatever network that was had some sort of, like, sponsorship, I swear to God, with Ford. Because every time someone was in a car, they'll be like, we can take my Ford. And then it would be, like, a weird, like, half a second long car commercial of them in the Ford showing off a feature of the Ford, but it wasn't just Bones. It was a bunch of TV shows that were all on the same network. I just can't remember what network oh, that's it was. so funny. But around that era, yeah. Um, Ford, I wonder if they have the deal with, like, a ton of country music. Oh. Because Ford is mentioned in everything. Yeah, like a Ford pickup truck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. Very interesting. Um, okay, anyways, so movies, um, there's, like, so much here, um, but me and my friend have been trying to make this letterbox list of movies that are technically, or, like, kind of ads for products. Okay. It's really hard because usually it's product placement. Usually the whole entire movie isn't an ad for a product. Right. Um, so right now we only have two that I felt, or, I mean, there's, like, toy ones, like, Barbie and stuff. But, Barbie, yeah, oh that's God, a great that, example. I can't even look at it, though. It's so annoying. I didn't even want to mention it because it just annoys me so much. But it's really, like, topical. It's really of right, the moment, right. All the you know? All the ketchup and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. Um, Like, every single company, like, ever is doing a Barbie collab right now. Pinkberry has, like, pink frozen yogurt for Barbie. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a Barbie food pop-up at the Century City Mall. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's... I had no idea. Um, I think the thing that comes to mind for me for movies is the movie that actually makes a parody of it. Actually, this is similar. Okay, because you texted me about the Morgan Spurlock movie. Yeah. Um, and there's actually an acted version of a movie that does exactly that same thing, which is the Josie and the Pussycats movie. Oh, no way. You keep telling me to watch that. You haven't seen it? No, you've told oh, me to watch God. it like 20 times. It's the best the movie. Okay, so the Josie and the Pussycats movie, the whole premise is that the record labels are using subliminal messaging behind pop songs to convince teenagers to buy shit they don't need. And that's, like, what drives the U.S. economy. And these record labels are in with, like, the military-industrial complex and, like, the U.S. government. That's what the Josie and the Pussycats movies are? Yes. And the main villains are Alan Cumming and Parker Posey. Parker Posey's the head of the record label. And Alan Cumming is, like, the liaison that deals with her and the U.S. government. So the whole premise of the movie is that they have a boy band called Du Jour, which has Seth Green in it, who's one of my favorite actors from the era. And they 
find out that there's subliminal messaging in their songs, so the U.S. government kills them, has them killed, and needs to replace them instantly with a new pop group, and they find Josie and the Pussycats playing on the street, and they're like, that's it, we're going to make you famous. Like, you're the new it group. So the whole premise of the movie is all about subliminal advertising and, like, commerce and um, consumerism, but because of that, every single part of the movie is super branded whenever you get into, like, the pop star world. So, like... If they're in a hotel room, it's like the hotel room sponsored by Target, and everything oh, has Target ads so all over sick. it. Yeah, or like one of them is like uh, Tara Reid's character is taking like a shower, and the whole bathroom sponsored by McDonald's. I'm gonna watch it tonight. You have to watch it. It's one of the best movies ever, and it's so funny, and it's like such a good statement about like consumerism. And there's like a scene where they're in the mall, and Alan Cummings' character is like testing a new subliminal track like at the record store in the mall, seeing how everybody re- responds to it. And then there's this, like, super, like, goth girl there, and she's like, I don't listen to this bullshit. And he's like, my, you're a real free thinker, aren't you? And then he gets on, like, an intercom and, like, alerts basically the Secret Service and is like, uh, we have a, a Smells Like Teen Spirit, that's oh, the code, my, and they, like, so abduct her and they use her for market research. Oh, I want to watch it so it's bad. It's such a good movie. watch all three tonight. Okay, that one. We What's the Morgan Spurlock one? Um, there's two, there's, what was it called? I texted it to you. Well, there's What Would Jesus Buy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Uh, and and Morgan Spurlock's involved with that one too. Yeah, and then the greatest movie ever sold that was yes. made by Palm. Okay, so the pomegranate juice. I did see the greatest movie ever sold when it came out, but my memory is so garbage. But um, that was so really when he was like hot. You watch know, all three tonight. Yeah, that sounds great. I think that's perfect. Um. Okay, so Top Gun is basically the whole movie is an ad for the U.S. military. Yes. Um. And there's this statistic that everybody says about how. Um, when the first Top Gun came out, military enrollment went up by 500%. <gasps> really? But um, military.com, or like, I think it was military.com. Military.com's a great URL. Right, right. Also. <laughs> um, they say that that's a uh, falsified statistic. Okay. But I've heard it like a bunch of times, so it's like, who's to say? Um, and then the other one that we came up with was The Secret. You know the movie for the book The Secret? I didn't realize there was a movie. Yeah, okay, so, um, it's this movie that I think, like, Ryan Gosling is in it, or, like, some, like, really, like... Heartthrobby. Yeah, somebody that you would just, like, expect to be in, like, the rom-com. Um, and it's a movie about, like, some nice people, and because they have, like, a positive attitude, good stuff just keeps happening to them. Even when life gets tough and, like, their roof is caving in, then a super hot guy shows up to fix it. Wow. Um, And if you saw the movie without knowing that there was, like, The Secret's not, like, a cult, but it's, like... It's culty. It's, there's, it's, like, some... uh, Yeah, I don't know. All that Um, self-help stuff can get really culty. Yeah. Yeah. Um... It's, like, some kind of scam, and so I think if you, like, watched that and you didn't know about The Secret and then you found out about it, you'd be like, oh, oh my god, you know, because it, like, feels so positive, it could really trick you. Yeah, that's, like, the toxic positivity thing, though. Yeah. Toxic positivity is kind of like advertising. It's, like, you're going to be rich and skinny and and carefree. Toxic positivity culture. Totally. Yeah, it's kind of the same. It's, like, um, aspirational. It's all aspirational advertising and self-help. Um... Okay, so then my favorite movie, SpawnCon, um, this was, like, a huge realization for me. Um, so there's, like, types of produce 
or there's like organizations around types of produce to promote the types of produce. So like lobbying groups for produce. Yeah. Okay. So there's the National Watermelon Promotion Board and it's like um they have to fight for grocery store shelf space. So watermelon in the summer isn't necessarily like a given. People have to be like convinced that they want it. So watermelon has to be like romanticized and sold to them. And so uh, the National Watermelon Promotion Board, um, oh, I want to read this, like, report that they did after, but they paid uh, Disney Pixar to use watermelon in this movie Luca. I don't know what the movie is, but it's, like, all these, like, cartoon characters eating watermelon, and there's just, like, tons of examples of this. Wow. Um, It's, like, it's really cool. I just, like, never thought that, like, you wouldn't just, like intuitively just like get watermelon right but that's like a subliminal message we've all yeah. consumed yeah one of the things well, no because the farmer's market or I guess I don't know if I've ever seen watermelon in the farmer's market but you know, know like there are like fruit seasons yeah there's seasonal fruit for sure yeah but you do have to be like grocery stores though it's like competitive for the shelf space right 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 so you have to like help sell it to the consumer to create the demand right you have to falsify the demand right yeah that's like the whole thing about advertising is you're just like falsifying all this demand you know what's interesting too is like this isn't like a product placement but this does have to do with like media and how like movies can be manipulated um we might have talked about this in our episode we did about like the cia but during the cold war the ussr was always harping on the united states for being so racist and a lot of prominent like black thinkers from the united states went to the ussr like i think like dubois went there or something and was like yeah this is the first time in my life i've ever felt just like a man and not a black man somewhere so the ussr was like yeah the united states is super fucking racist like capitalism and white supremacy are like entrenched they're interlinked like in the ussr they like for a while it was like illegal to be racist like if you did anything racist like a person could citizens arrest you and like this one guy told a story about being black on a train and seeing a guy make a racist remark and the train it was a bus sorry and the bus stopped and all these other white people on the bus like grabbed the guy who said the racist thing and like took him off the bus and like took him to the to jail and we're like this man did a racism take him away so this was like something the ussr was really like talking about a lot during the cold war especially like your country sucks like it's not it's not even that good for white people and if you're not white it's totally fucked so then the cia went to like all of the film people in los angeles oh i know about this yes and they were like everybody keeps saying that we're super super racist so you have to put so many black and brown and asian extras in the background of every single movie to make it look like the united states is really really diverse so of course they didn't like cast people in leading roles they were just like stack the backgrounds with a diverse range of people so we look like we're not racist so russia can stop doing this to us yeah this is a part of the um the uh military entertainment complex yeah so the movies are spawn con sometimes just yeah. for the country yeah sometimes the united states is sponsoring i was gonna movies. get to that okay yeah, okay, okay. A, there's a huge pentagon list of those oh, wow all right okay i'm excited um okay so um i guess this isn't like really or i guess it is kind of spawn con um but it's just like so crazy that watermelon.org by the, <laughs> the website nas- name the <laughs> National Watermelon Promotion Board wrote this report. Um, I won't read the whole thing, but more consumers believe watermelon isn't just for picnics anymore, as they are buying watermelon on a weekly basis for snacks and fruit salads. According to new consumer market research conducted by the the National Watermelon Promotion Board, 
the availability of a wide array of fresh cut choices in the produce department is encouraging new segments of consumers, especially small families and singles, to buy watermelon more frequently. They're choosing watermelon cut into halves, quarters, and cubes, or already folded into ready-made fruit salads. Oh, because the it's watermelon just, itself is cumbersome. Yeah, it's but too it's large. Just, it's just so interesting, like, <laughs> how they're, like, thinking about, like, how to sell watermelon to a single person better. Yes. Um, and then they even go as far as to say that um, people are making flower vases out of emptied out watermelons. Okay. And they're trying to promote this as an idea, a craft idea on their website to buy a watermelon and take all the fruit out and then fill it with flowers. Oh yeah. And you have a picture here and it's, right. it's actually pretty beautiful. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I would not imagine it being. I just being... like the links that they're. Yeah. They're really trying to use the to. whole watermelon. Yeah. Like I that. respect that. I respect that. Um, but then, um. Also, in terms of movies, um, I was thinking about Repo Man. Um, I listened to a podcast about it, but um, it's, like, the opposite of sponsored content. You know how it's, like, all generic products yeah. in, in the movie? So, um, there's also this brand. Uh, my friend applied to work at this brand where she was going to get to design generic products for movies. Oh, that's so good. And it was going to be so cool. Um, my um, friend actually showed me... Okay, so... My friend in New York, their roommates had, like, a little house party, and they left a window open, and then a feral cat got in, right? right? And now the feral cat just lives in their pantry. So then my friend was like, okay, well, like, the feral cat needs to eat food or it'll die. So then uh, they went to the corner store to get food for the cat, and they showed me what the cat food looked like, and it literally just said, like, cat food, but cat was spelled with a K, and it looked, like, super generic, and I told them this morning, I was like, this looks like fake cat food that would be in the background of an 80s Wait, movie. Wait, so sick, I want to see. Okay, yeah, well, that, that, this was, like, a thing in, um, like, in, like, the mid-70s, I guess, generic products became super popular because of inflation. Yes. Inflation um, was wild in the 70s. Yeah, and so then all these movies were, like, including it, um... And, uh, there was, like, I was reading a message board about this, and there was a conspiracy, let me see if I can find where I wrote it down, I'm sorry. Um, uh, maybe I didn't write it down. Um, but, uh, there's, like, I don't know, whatever. Um, there's also, like, a bunch of Christmas tree air fresheners in Repo Man, in, like, almost every scene. I did not you know? notice that. <laughs> I, I didn't notice it either, but there's, like, some kind of, like, inside joke in a bunch of other movies, too, where they all use the Christmas tree air fresheners, and all these people on this forum were trying to figure out if they were sponsored by the Christmas tree air freshener company, or if they're just using it as, like, a joke, because, like, the plots are so, like, Repo Man's, like, an alien movie, or it, it's not. It's not. It's, like, a sci-fi movie. Yeah, it's, like, a sci-fi yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, like, the plots are so wild, than to just have, like, the super normal little air freshener, if, like, that's the whole joke, or if it's, like, a... I feel like it's kind of like Americana culture. It's like the red Solo cup of the car. Um, yeah. That makes sense to me. Um, so, uh, I'm so bummed I didn't, I don't have the specific theory that they were saying. I thought I wrote it down. That's okay. Um, I think it's still interesting. But um, other iconic examples are Juno and Sunny D. Oh. You know, at the beginning. I don't remember that part of Juno, but I remember Juno. It, like, stuck with me forever, and then I was always, like, I don't know, it, like, totally, like, made me want to drink, like, a huge jug of orange juice, because, like, her vibe was so, like, cool. I see. Interesting. 
Um, and then uh, Reese's Pieces paid a ton of money to be in E.T. Yes. And I haven't seen E.T. for a really long time, so I don't really remember exactly yeah, it's, it's like, it, like, um, Drew Barrymore, I think, is a little baby, gives the alien a Reese's Pieces, and then, like, leaves them for the alien to, like, yeah. follow, to, like, get to safety. Yeah, it's, like, it a really important part of the movie. Um, well, supposedly, Reese's Pieces sales jumped 80% after that. Wow. That's a lot. It's a lot, for sure. It's definitely a lot. Huh. I mean, I feel like in Seinfeld, there was, like, an opposite thing that happened where they had an episode about Mentos, and they, like, dropped Mentos into a person's body during, like, an open surgery oh, where they were in the galley. No, it was, like, an accident. Oh. And then I think that they originally had wanted it to be, like, something else that was funnier, they thought. But then they approached the company, and they're like, hey, can we use your item in this way? And they're like, no, it makes us look really bad. You can't. And, like, Mentos was the one that was like, we don't care. Fucking party. Sure. Drop a Mentos in a dead guy. I don't know. Yeah, That's but they were awesome. like, we couldn't get anybody to clear us using their brand name, except for Mentos. That reminds me of a secret that I know about Imvu. <gasps> but you can't share it. Oh, I guess I shouldn't say it. No, That's it's a, a secret. Later. Wow. Um, it's about them being secretly in stuff. Wow. Ooh, it's exciting. I like the conspiratorial thinking. You know what else I just thought about? Um, remember how you were talking about the skate kids putting, like, the DC logos mm-hmm. on them and stuff. Um, it made me think about Fern at our work, one of our coworkers. Oh, yeah, she's got a whole bunch of brand tattoos. Yeah, she's got a Jenko tattoo. Vivian Westwood. She's got, oh, yeah, the Vivian World Westwood. World Industries. She's got the Spitfire. I think that's World Industries. Is that World Industries? I yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. I thought, am I, maybe, maybe I don't know. But, yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. It's really cool looking, any, too. Do you have any logos tattooed? No, I don't have any. Do you? I don't think I do. Uh-uh, no, nothing. I have another friend with Vivian Westwood, too, though. Yeah. It's it's cool. People like brands. People like People them. People like brands. Yeah, we turn our bodies into billboards. Yeah. Okay, so your last thing you have is the army? Mm, sort of. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess I'm saying this as if, like, I'm treating the army as a product or business that's... It is. I think that's right. safe. Yeah. I thought, that's fair. I thought that would be okay. Um, so it's called the Military Entertainment Complex um, because the Department of Defense works on, like, tons of movies. Um, and there is, like, this whole email exchange with the Sky um, and the Pentagon about the Freedom of Information Act where he was like, oh, like, I want to know what movies and, like, what's the list? So the Pentagon has, like, this huge list of all the movies that it's been involved with. Um, and it's... None of them are, like, that surprising. Um, it was, like, Top Gun, all the James Bond movies, Iron oh. Man, Godzilla, Wonder Woman, King Kong, Transformers, Karate Kid. Um, but some of the movies even use, like, real soldiers... Whoa. Yeah, it's really crazy, like, how much they, like, work together. Yeah, it's, like, a whole propaganda wing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a job, and, like, um, I just learned this. Somebody that my friend is dating's, like, boyfriend, sister's girlfriend or whatever worked for the Donald Trump, like, propaganda department. Yeah. Um, And I know that's also a job in China, too, like, the propaganda chiefs. Mm -hmm. So... I guess that's, like, a, a common job. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's also, like, a ton of video games. 
um, including one that the U.S. Army made that you could play at Fuddruckers. Whoa. Um, yeah, it's really, really crazy. I think that our propaganda is more dystopian here. Because, like, I have seen one of the oh, yeah. China, yeah, totally. like, quote-unquote, like, propaganda websites. Um, but it's literally them just being like, the United States said all this shit, and it's not true, and here's some data. And you're like, okay, I'm sure, like... You know, the whole thing is, like, um, there's three sides to every story. Mm-hmm. But, like, I read this guy on Twitter once say, like, I'm old enough now to realize if your entire political stance is America bad and whatever the United States tells you you should believe, you're just like, mm, I don't know, America bad, so that's probably not right. You'll probably end up on the right side of history most of the time. Oh, and yeah. I've never been able to get that out of my head. No, so yeah, even good. when I read, like, the Chinese website that's just them being like, here's all the shit the United States said about us, here's how it's not true. I'm always like, you know what, America bad. I mean, um, the, there's like all these art books of like Chinese propaganda though, and it's, it's, it is like for like family planning and stuff, but the messages will be like, eat healthy, or like, it's like, oh, it's yeah. not like, it's like, yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, oh, okay. That's like some USSR propaganda where it would be like, learn to read it's nice yeah. you know and you'd be yeah. like oh this is their propaganda our propaganda is like go murder innocent people in other countries uh-huh. haha we'll pay for your college uh-huh. haha we're the good guys uh-huh. and you're like oh shit this is fucked up yeah propaganda does manifest different ways different places for sure um okay well so that brings me to um the for a year it got shut down um but for a year the U.S. Army had an esports channel on Twitch Whoa. where um, they there's, like, a picture of, like, all these soldiers, like, on computers. It, like, it looks like a, a LAN party um, where they're just, like, or, or, I don't know, they're military personnel. I don't know if everybody's a soldier. I don't know the distinctions. Okay. Um, but they're all playing video games and just streaming them on Twitch. And then they chat with kids, <gasps> and so the kids are like, whoa, dude, like, you're so good at, like, running people over in Grand Theft Auto or whatever, and then um, they, like, sort of warp the conversation, so they'll, they'll be, like, casual conversations, like, being like, oh, like, I'm just, like, having a snack and, like, playing games, like, I'm just like you, it's, like, so chill, whatever, and then they'll, like, start talking about, like, the benefits of being in the military, or, like, they'll mention that they're in the military and, like, how it's so awesome, um, and, like... You know, there's so a recruiting technique. Yeah, it is. Whoa. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And like, talk to the kids. It's just like about like life stuff. I don't know. It's weird. Wow. Um, and then this was an extra, but I kind of like want to play it. Do I have permission to play a music video or no? I don't know how it works with copyright, but you know what we can do? We can link it on our Patreon. Okay. So if anybody wants to see Lucy's magical mystery music video, um, it'll be up on our Patreon. It's a music video made by two military recruiters. <gasps> Um, where they're, uh, rapping and they, like, use, like, whatever military place they're at as, like, the set for their music video. And they're, like, rapping about how the uniforms were free. And, like, it's, like, really funny. It's really funny. Whoa. Really crazy. Um, and then, uh, you know, okay, so there was this dazed article about e-girls who were doing influencing for the army because, um... I think that Gen... Wait, is Gen Z, like, the youngest? Yeah. Okay, well, there's so, Gen Alpha after Gen, them, but they're okay, pretty so, young. So Gen Z is, like, more progressive than any other generation. Right. So the military's been having a hard time getting people to sign up. So, so proud of you guys. They, You're doing such a good job. So <laughs> don't, been, don't get recruited. <laughs> um, they've been using e-girls to do recruiting. And do you know this influencer... 
um, Haley Lujan? No, but I've seen this with, like, the Israeli army. They'll have, like, really cute girls who are, like, yeah, I'm just murdering people, but I'm cute. (laughs) Ha ha. Yeah, and they make all these, like, um, she makes, like, outfits with her gun, and she'll, like, post, like, this is so wild. She posts, like, an outfit of the day that's, like, um, a gold hat, which is, like, trendy right now, like, the, like, the Indian This picture is wild. And then, um, her gun, Levi's shorts, red cowboy boots, and then the shirt says, I have a gun and I'm schizophrenic. And then there's a pocket full of money. Right. And that's, This is very, like, um, like, Vice Corps. Yeah. This is very, like, it, like, uh, edgelord, vice, like, haha. Totally, it's totally. so edgy to join the military and murder people. And then that's her with, like, cat ears on. Wow. Um, in a sailor outfit. This is really but she's, dystopian. Like, she's actively in the army, and obviously they know that she's doing this. She's got, like, a billion followers. I don't know about, like, the actual number. Yeah, but, she has a lot of followers. Yeah. This is so wild. Um, it's really unsettling. It's really unsettling. Um, But that's basically, like, all of my examples. I had, like, other, just, like, other, like, things to reference. Um, Like how energy drinks um, fill fill up their bottles with water and give them to professional athletes. Oh, I didn't know about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Um, So, like, that's why, like, they're always drinking, like, Gatorade or whatever, a lot of times they're just drinking, like, yellow water because nobody, the pro athletes, like, would never consume Gatorade. Hmm. Um. That's so interesting. And, uh, then the military also sponsors, uh, I I think it's popular with, like, race car stuff. They'll sponsor events in exchange for salutes at the events. Oh. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. That's so wild. Um. I've definitely been to, like, the racetrack, like, the Irwindale Speedway. Yeah, yeah, and they do the Pledge of Allegiance. They do a whole they... bunch of, like, military stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty wild. Even, like, I went to my boyfriend's family's reunion recently, and my boyfriend's family's really, really big. So, usually when we go, it's, like, the West Coast people, but we went to, like, an East Coast family reunion, and it was in Alabama, and before they started the family reunion, they did, like, a salute to the military members. And we Wait, were just, just like, the family? just at the family reunion, but his family's huge. So it's like a lot of people, but we were like, whoa, whoa, what is happening? And it's not like anybody's old enough that they were like drafted into wars. These were all people who like chose to engage in service. Whoa. So it was very, very strange. It was very, we were like, oh, cool. this is not our belief system at all. Okay. You know? Yeah. But I think a lot of people have a hard time, like even like ACAB people have a hard time, like understanding and conceptualizing of the military as, like, a global police force that, like, upholds American imperialism abroad. a lot of people are trained that it's, like, the only upward mobility. Yeah, for sure. And, like, most of, like, a lot of my family is like that. Yeah, I mean, I have a military family. My whole family was in the military. My brother is currently in the military. You know, he didn't have a lot of options. He didn't think. I don't, I have a half-brother, and I only saw him for six months as a baby, and then I didn't see him again until my grandma died, like, a couple months ago yeah so we don't know anything about him really but yeah i think that like i don't know the military thing is really interesting even um like somebody i know one of their old friends was going through a hard time and like at age 40 just like told one of their other friends like yeah everything's gonna be okay though because they just joined the military like Whoa. if you want to sign up here's a link you can too Whoa. and they're like no that's not really well, our I thing mean, I get man it it's like it's like um you get it's like a different version of like getting in so over your head you're like oh i'm gonna go to rehab 
it's like life or, or like joining a, a joining a religion or a, or cult. a cult yeah 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 for sure it is very cult-like it's pretty wild um yeah I think that like I have all these like belief systems that at different points in my life have been like too radical to like share publicly like I remember that maybe 10 years ago I talked about like not supporting the military on the internet just like really briefly as a throwaway and my friend and I both were like, yeah, no, we don't fuck with that. That's, like, cops all over. The- That's American cops all over the world harming people, killing people. Like, we don't do that. We're not into that. And somehow the military found out about it. And then it was my friend Kennedy. Wait, and no started way. harassing me and Kennedy, like, for, like, a whole week. They were, like, harassing us. And on, they, like, got a on, hold of her email like address. Like, social media accounts or what? Yeah, but it was, like, through, like, a work thing somehow. It was, like, this weird, complicated... It was, like, fashion and the military and us. And then us versus the military. Well, basically, it ended with them. Like, the only thing they could really do is they found her email address and signed her up for a bunch of junk mail websites. So they just, like, pranked her? Yeah, they tried to prank her. They do that. They, They were doing that on Twitch. They had, like, fake links that were, like, you won something and then you'd, like, click and then it would just be a, a sign-up sheet. Yeah. They do a bunch of pranks. So it's they so did that. Weird. They pranked us because they were mad because we did not support American imperialism. They but, sent her a bunch of junk mail? Yes, but, I mean, like, that was 10 years ago. Like, even now, 10 years later, I feel like if I say, like, no, I don't support the military, it's less um, shocking and incendiary to people. So I feel like the thing we're talking about, like, how Gen Z is, like, further left and it's, like, I think people do... I think people, information as it becomes more readily available, like via things like the internet, like you have more info at your disposal, right? And you you read more books and you learn about things that our own government admits that they have done, you know? And it gets harder and harder to like believe, you know, the Top Gun propaganda machine that's like, US good, we're great. And then you start reading things, you're like, why do we have so many military bases all over the world? Like, what was our involvement in the Vietnam War again? Like, why is Laos the most heavily bombed country on earth? Like, what did we do in Cambodia and why? And then you're like, oh, there's no explanation for any of this. I think a lot of people won't ask. (laughs) And then they'll just join. (laughs) They'll watch Top Gun and they'll just join. I mean, I think so. Yeah. Maybe it's getting better, though. I guess, I guess my generation. generation Are you a millennial? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a generation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, wait. So you have Um, some good examples of brand collaborations you like. Okay. Um, It's just a list. Okay, Um, let's just do it as a list. Okay, Betsy Johnson Kleenex. Wait, is that real? Yeah, the Kleenexes look like leather jackets with a zipper. What? Um, I think I have a picture. Wait. Okay. Uh, All right, I won't. They can't see, so it's not useful. No, that's okay. Um... So, Online Ceramics does, like, a bunch, uh, and, like, Supreme and Streetwear brands do a bunch, but yeah. Online Ceramics did the Silent Hill one that was, like, really bad. It's just, like, licensed products. I'm not sure. It's like, like, I guess, like, I guess I that one, it, I guess that one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess a lot of them are just licensed. Um, but Uniqlo right now is doing an L.A. restaurant shirt series. What? Yeah, there's, like, um... Uh, a burger she wrote Uniqlo shirt Whoa. and there's a pizza nista Uniqlo shirt it's super weird but they also did the Sofia Coppola shirts yeah so I'm not sure what Uniqlo is on that's so interesting yeah um and then there is this mysterious Amy's ASOS shirt that I found on eBay Whoa. but I couldn't find out any information about it but like Amy's organic like the frozen yeah. food um and then the who we found it, out they're evil now Right, they're right. They're canceled. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess they did a collaboration with ASOS at some point. Wow. And then I had Selena the Wiltern on the list. Oh yeah, that was the fashion show that broke LA. Yeah, and when then, that fashion show happened, everyone like lost it over how much they hated it. And then there was like 
a war on the streets basically in Los Angeles that night. Like we were out at a bar and people showed up with the Celine bags right, who had right, been to the right. shows and we were just like these fucking losers and then everyone on Twitter was losing their mind about Celine at the Will Turn. And then it was, like, such a status thing to be invited, but then really you're just there making sponsored content. You really you're are. You're, like, showing off that you're invite that the fact that you were invited, but then you're really just, like, making yourself a billboard for the brand. And the clothes are so ugly. It's so embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, um, so my best friend's, like, a really successful makeup artist, so she does a bunch of stuff. And one of the things I thought was, like, really cool that she did is she did this, like, Mac event. And Mac had, like, um a sponsored content booth at the event where you could go use the product inside this little booth that was, like, private Mm -hmm. and make your own content in there. And I was like, let's just get down to it. Like, I like this. At least it's honest, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, so many events have stuff like that. Yeah, no, I like it when it's really upfront and forthright. And you're like, that's what everybody's here for. Like, um, also, if you go to... God, what's that social club in LA that everybody goes to? Soho House. Soho House. If you go to Soho House, there's a Soho House content oh, room yeah, it's at the crazy. one downtown. That is crazy. Yeah, it's really dystopian. It's super dystopian. Yeah, but it's also kind of fun. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like the Museum of Selfies and like all those selfie museums. Where it's right. Just like made for that. It's pretty interesting. Um, I thought that a good selfie museum style museum. Uh, would be an advertising one because there's so many crazy ads mm-hmm. there should be one you could be in the ads yeah and it could be like because a lot of them are like the history of something or like museum of ice cream and then it like you learn about ice cream um that's actually a good segue into some stuff okay. i have to talk about about sponsored content and it is the history of sponsored content okay. like where it comes from um so you know obviously i think a lot of us when we think about sponsored content now like i mentioned we think about the internet right Um, but even before, like, Instagram became the ubiquitous advertising machine it is today, like, in 2010, Kim Kardashian was still doing sponsored content, just not on Instagram. So she did this celebrity endorsement of Charmin toilet paper, (gasps) where she stood outside of, like, public bathrooms and handed you Charmin before you went in, but, like, IRL. It's pretty amazing, yeah. And also, like, Snoop Dogg once endorsed Hot Pockets and had a whole music video with a parody track of Drop It Like It's Hot, but it was Pocket Like It's Hot, and he made, like, a whole music video. Um, Katy Perry also once made an expansion pack for The Sims 3, where she sang her songs in Simlish. And then also, Method Man once recorded a full rap song for Sour Patch Kids. So really, yeah, like the root of sponsored content is just celebrity endorsement and just like it plays out so many different ways now. Um, And it goes back to like 1760, which was like the first example of celebrity endorsement for a company that I could find, which is when Wedgwood used their connection to the royal family to sell like plates, like dinner plates that you eat off of. Oh, is that, like, the plates that have, like, like the porcelain plates with, like, the, the king and queen, like, printed on them? Oh, my God. It might be. I'm not sure. But it was the whole thing about, like, fit for a king. They were literally using the king as an influencer oh to be, God. like, the king likes our plates. You should buy our plates. They're fit for a king. And then, um, like, in the United States, I feel like our first, like, real pop culture introduction to this idea of celebrity endorsement really hit hard in the 1920s with baseball players and movie stars. Mm -hmm. They started doing all sorts of product stuff. And then by the 1960s, we had TV presenters, kind of like the news thing you were talking about, doing paid endorsements, like, in between Variety Act shows. You know, and now word from our sponsors, but it would be a TV presenter just going to a different section of the studio and being like, here's this soap. I like this soap. Use this soap. It's very, um, like, podcast style when mm-hmm. podcasters record their own ads to play oh, in yeah, between. Yeah, yeah. So the TV presenters would be doing this, like cigarettes or whatever. They'd be just kind of hawking in, in between the content for the actual TV show. 
But like from the 1960s to the 1990s, it was pretty easy to know what was an ad and what wasn't, right? You could tell. You're like, now they are selling me well, soap. Now we're back to the show. What I would argue, say? though, that there was still a lot of, like, uh, product placement. Yeah, I think Not was, less popular, but there was still some. Yeah, there was definitely still product placement, for sure. But I think, like, most consumers knew when an ad was happening. Unless it was, mm-hmm. like, in a movie or something. Yeah. There'd be product placement, yeah. for sure. Um, but all of this was more clear back then because there were advertising standards that were federally laid out in the United States from the FCC where they're like, you have to disclose when you're advertising these specific things. And it was more like up to date with media technology back then mm-hmm. versus now media technology moves so fast. It's so hard to make regulations that are up to date with that. So oh, I think there was like a thing like that in the UK, like certain songs that were like too ad heavy weren't like allowed to be played on the, or on like BBC. They like wouldn't play certain songs that were, like, too product placement heavy. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Well, these, like, celebrity endorsements were obviously super massive. Like, everybody from supermodels to athletes for a long time, that would be, like, your transition out of the job. You'd be like, well, I'm too old for this now. My body's aging out of it, so now I'll just do endorsements and advertisements, and that's how I'll make money. And it got to the point where, like, in the 90s, if you were to sign a celebrity endorsement, like, as a business, if you were a business signing on a celebrity endorsement, it could cause the value of your stock to rise an average of 4% just from doing that. Because people knew that this is something that was, like, going to result in more sales for your company. Okay, I had to go get my dog because she was whining outside the door because she wanted to hang out. Little Forky. She's doing better now. Um, yeah, so the celebrity endorsement thing was super, super prevalent. Like, the 1984 Nike Air Jordan campaign is considered one of the most successful celebrity endorsements in history. So 25 years after it happened, like, by 2009, the Nike Jordan brand dominated 75% of basketball shoe sales and almost 11% of overall shoe sales in the United States. Whoa, that's really crazy. Yes, and also the most expensive advertising campaign of all time was a celebrity endorsement campaign, and it was Chanel in 2004. It cost $33 million to make one ad, and $3 million of it alone just went to Nicole Kidman, who starred oh in the video. God. And it was, like, maybe, like, a Moulin Rouge thing, if I remember Whoa. right. It's really interesting, though, how that, like, why they would want that. Because it's, like, it's, that's only about world building. Yeah, it's totally. Like, that's not going to, it's going to take them so long to make that money back. Right, it is. But, I mean, that's the thing about advertising. Advertising is all about, like, subtlety and repetition. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what you want. Making a household name. Yeah, building a household name. And it all has to do with this thing they call effective conditioning, which is basically like, look, we're an advertiser. We're going to take a product, and we're going to place it next to something we already know consumers like. You know? So, for example, consumers like Nicole Kidman take the perfume and put it next to Nicole Kidman. Boom, now all of a sudden the consumers like the perfume too. And this is actually pretty effective because, yeah, if you feel positive about a celebrity, you'll feel positive about any product that's next to that celebrity. Um, Then, though, all this starts happening and getting really prevalent and all these people are dumping millions and millions of dollars into it. But at the same time, something major is happening that's shifting the entire landscape of advertising, and it's the Internet. So the internet, obviously, in the 90s started to, you know, get going. People started using the internet regularly. Um, But by, like, the early 2000s, it was really becoming more and more commonplace. So as the internet got more prevalent, all of advertising had to change instantly to keep up with it. Suddenly, there's this, like, whole new world of potential advertising at our fingertips. But 
users of the internet also pretty fast start to get these things called ad blinders that they weren't already getting for things like commercials on TV or product placement in movies. And this is literally that when you looked at like a website or a search engine, there are certain locations that lended themselves to ads, like the top of the website or the sidebars of the website. And consumers just started to get these blinders psychologically where they wouldn't even register what was happening there. So, you know, this meant that advertisers had to come up with a new way to try to figure out how ads worked on the internet because it wasn't like a billboard or like a magazine ad. It just didn't do anything. Uh, so 70 to 80 percent of users were ignoring sponsored search results, for example, around this time period. And with online advertising, that meant that the goal suddenly began making ads integrate seamlessly into user experiences. So they would feel more organic and less ad-like and they would be harder to ignore. So there was this article on The Drum that talked about this and they said, look, Facebook began making money from advertising almost immediately once the site came about in 2004. But these were mostly text-based ads that appeared on the sidebar and they were offered at a CPC basis, which is like a charge per click basis. So when somebody clicked on it, then you would get charged, right? In 2008, though, Facebook opened the Pages feature for brands, and in 2009, brands could set up and run their own ads on the platform. By 2011, content from brand pages began appearing in users' news feeds, and there would be fine print on them that read, you are seeing this because you like brand XYZ, a sponsor paid to feature it here. And it was only a year later that Facebook ads and news feeds were clearly marked as sponsored when they popped up. So you wouldn't even know, really, unless you looked for the fine print that you were seeing an ad. And as this was happening, Twitter in around 2010 began testing promoted tweets just appearing in your user feed without you really realizing it was an ad. And in 2013, Associated Press did this deal with Samsung that was kind of like third-party sponsored content, but like more rough around the edges and too direct, where they just let Samsung tweet as the Associated Press on their page its own ads. Whoa. Yeah. And this would like bypass Twitter's ad model and all of the Associated Press's followers would see these Samsung ads in their feed. So then in November of 2013, Instagram advertising, as we think of it today, came about and Instagram ran officially its first ad. Do you remember what it was? No. Okay. I didn't know what it was either. And if you had asked me, I would not have thought it was this in a million years. But I do remember the shift and being like, oh my God, now there's ads on Instagram. But it was a Michael Kors advertisement. What? Yeah, and it just popped up in your feed automatically without you following anything. Uh, it was clearly marked sponsored, but everybody flipped out. Everyone was just like, what the fuck is this? It was like the equivalent of uh, Apple putting that U2 album on everybody's iPods. Oh. Everyone's like, I did not ask for this. Not everybody gets ads on their Instagram. Some people do and some people don't. Really? Mm-hmm. Wait, what? Um, yeah, my one of my friends has never gotten one before, but there's this really, really cool zine about ads on Instagram. Um, sorry for interrupting. No, you, no, it's, it's good. It's really, really cool. I wish I knew the name of the person who made it. But um, basically, lots of people have Facebook pages, just like regular people have Facebook pages for their small businesses. And anybody with a Facebook page can create an Instagram ad, and it, like, have you ever made an Instagram ad? Yeah, we do them for work when we do sales. Um, So every time we have a sale, we make an Instagram ad. So, like, on Facebook, you, for people who don't know, on Facebook, you select um, things that are similar to the thing that you're selling that the people who would buy it would also be interested in. So, you like, do you remember doing that? No, we never did that because we just let the, the algorithm at work automatically do it. So oh, well, it'll be like, let us choose, automatic. Oh, well, I thought mm-hmm. that part of it was really dystopian. But anyway, um, so uh, 
you pay for the amount of people that you want to reach. So obviously a big brand can pay more money and reach more people. But this person made this zine where they kept reporting all of the big company commercial ads until they started only getting personal ads for like small businesses. So it'd be like um, super, super weird stuff, like just like a random person with like two followers, like taking pictures of like their dinner, promoting some like, like just meal themselves. coaching. No, they, yeah. Or, wow. Yeah. That's it's so really interesting. cool. So report all your ads till you get personal ads, I guess. Um, also there was this thing that was a trend a while ago where people realized you could download your data from Facebook and see oh, what yeah, marketing yeah, yeah, segmentation yeah, yeah. they put you in. Did you look at yours? That stuff is so interesting. I looked at mine. Mine was not super accurate, but some of it was. I'd say it was 50% accurate. I don't know if I really remember, but I just, it's like so creepy that they have like a, a list of all of your interests. They have a dossier on us. Um, but when this Michael Kors ad like ran on Instagram, even though everybody claimed they hated it, the Michael Kors Instagram account got 34,000 new followers within 18 hours. Moms. So it worked. The moms were into it. Um, by 2013, though, ad blocking was on the rise, and the FTC was trying to introduce regulations for, like, how we deal with digital advertising, much like they had for TV when ads started happening. They're like, okay, we got to regulate this. Now they're like, how the fuck do we regulate this on the internet? And meanwhile, while all this was going on, influencers were starting to get more popular. And these would just be people who just started building followings online for who knows what reason. And this wasn't super new. Like, back in the days of MySpace, there were influencers who had, like, so many followers and you didn't really understand why this was going on. But they were getting more mainstream just because, like, Instagram wasn't as niche as MySpace was. It reached a lot of people and more people were getting exposed to this. Was there a spawn con on MySpace? Um, okay, so there, I don't remember SmallCon on MySpace except for bands. Okay, yeah, that's what but I But they probably wouldn't pay you. They'd just be like, you're really cool. Yeah. But the first thing I remember happening on MySpace that was like, whoa, was Nasty Gal. When oh, Nasty yeah. Gal came out, it was just an eBay store, but they created a personal MySpace account before, like, any brands had MySpace accounts, and they would friend request girls they thought dressed cool. So if you got a nasty gal friend request and meant you had good style. So when it happened, you'd be like, oh my God, my friend had already got one. So I knew it was cool. Yes, I did. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Um, But that was kind of like, whoa. So it felt like you were in like an inside club. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden you could see updates about their eBay store and like what was dropping when. And they utilized social media marketing really well. How they parade uses micro influencers. Um, and then people are, like, excited that a brand has reached out yes. to them. So then they're like, oh, yeah, I'll take an underwear picture for you for my social media. For free. In your ugly granny panties. Yeah, I'll take 600. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. I think they're cute, though. You don't like them? Those no, underwear? I think they're granny panties. Okay, I like granny panties, I guess. Um, yeah, so the influencers are starting to go mainstream. And marketers, meanwhile, were realizing, like, wait, we can use these social media platforms of these just, like, kids in their bedrooms who have, like, hundreds of thousands of followers for some reason the same way we would use celebrity endorsements for products in the past, uh, bypassing traditional ad regulations and paying way, way less for this type of content than a celebrity would ever charge us. It's, like, so cheap. All while presenting this seamlessly integrated advertising model that felt less like paid content and more like honest endorsement. And people even started to do this with the news. Do you know about this? No. Okay, so according to the Content Promotion Manifesto, brands spent approximately 6.7% of their content marketing budget on sponsored content in 2013 for news sources, including places like the New York Times and Forbes. No way. Yes. So 
there's this evidence showing that audience engagement with sponsored news posts is much higher than other forms of advertising. And the New York Times claimed that readers spend the same amount of time reading a sponsored article as they would reading just like a traditional news story. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. If it's interesting yeah. enough, right? And then there was this similar study on ShareThrough and IPG Media Labs, and they found that consumers look at sponsored articles actually more than usual editorial articles and spend a similar time uh, reading these different that types makes of content. Sense though, because it's like I think a lot of people don't read the news and then they're like already on Instagram and they're like, oh, crazy headline. Yeah, that could be. It's more like clickbaity. It's yeah. less like a journalistic integrity or whatever to uphold. Yeah. Right. But now that like I know about Operation Mockingbird and all of like the CIA propaganda things, I'm like, was there ever journalistic integrity? Ah. No and then I feel yeah. like the meme of Charlie Day with all the stuff mm-hmm. on the wall and the strings, right? Um. But yeah, so the content that influencers on the internet started sharing wasn't too different, relatively speaking, to how, like, these news stories were doing the sponsored content, too. So this is all kind of happening at the same time. It's kind of like a bubbling up effect across multiple industries. Basically, people started to use their social media platforms effectively as billboards to share products with their followers. And this, like, is maybe the extension of something that was happening as early as 2009 when the New York Times ran this article called The Body as Billboard, Your Ad Here. And in it, they talked about a few people, but one of the people they talked about was this woman named Terry Gardner, who was a legal secretary in California, who was 50 years old, and she shaved her head for an advertising campaign done by Air New Zealand. So basically, Air New Zealand hired a bunch of people. They were like, if you shave your head, you have to display this temporary tattoo and henna on your head that reads, need a change? Head down to New Zealand, www.airnewzealand.com in big block letters. That's a good one. Yeah, it was temporary tattoo. It was like Hannah, yeah. so it'd be in your head for a while. So she did this. She was like, fuck yeah, I want to go. I want to check out New Body Zealand. Body's a billboard. Body's a billboard. Let's do it. And I guess her family was like, she's lost her mind. She's having like a mental breakdown. And they like sent the police to her house and she's like, no, I know what I'm doing. Um, yeah, super interesting. She was one of 30 people who did this, and the airline at the time called them cranial billboards. And participants would receive either a round-trip ticket to New Zealand, which was worth about $1,200 at the time, or $777 in cash, which was an allusion to the Boeing 777, which was a model in the airline's fleet. Um, And also this article in the New York Times referenced something that happened as early as 2001, when Golden Palace, which was an online gambling site, paid uh, the middleweight boxer Bernard Hopkins to wear a temporary tattoo with its web address during a televised boxing match. And this was like a huge publicity stunt and all these boxing authorities and people at ESPN were like, this is outrageous, you know. But over the next couple of years, the Golden Palace Casino also paid the former Partridge family store, Donnie Bonaducci, and other people um, to do the same thing and apply these like henna tattoos advertising. And Golden Palace got like super into this like bodies and billboard thing we'll hear more about them later also in 2005 uh this guy named andrew fisher who's 20 years old set up an ebay auction offering his forehead as a site for a temporary tattoo advertisement for one month and this place called green pharmaceuticals uh snore stop they won with almost forty thousand dollars bid to do it for one month and fisher uh, would go on these like national tv programs like good morning america with this ad on his forehead for this pharmaceutical company and he would appear in like newspapers it was like this huge gimmick thing and he's like yeah for 40 grand i don't regret looking like an idiot for a month (laughs) but it's not like it's the most fun thing in the world to walk around with a big ad on your face (laughs) 
Uh, still, though, he did it again. He sold his forehead a second time, and you know who bought it? Golden Palace Casino, because okay. they were all about this Bodies of Billboard thing. But they got it for just $5,000. It was discounted. Mm-hmm. The novelty had worn off a little, and people weren't that excited about it anymore. <laughs> but Golden Palace, that didn't dissuade them. They kept doing more human billboard stuff. So... Also in 2005, through an eBay auction, they paid this woman, Carrie Smith, $10,000 to permanently tattoo their web address on her forehead. It's along her hairline in block letters. Uh, It also paid several pregnant women to put temporary tattoos on their giant bellies um, as long as they agreed to, like, wear them bare and naked at malls and football stadiums. This is just, like, they were so into this. And then, also starting in 2005, Dunlop Tires started hiring tattoo artists to work their booth at annual trade shows they would go to in Las Vegas. So they'd be like, hey, if you get a permanent tattoo of our logo, we'll give you a free set of tires worth up to $1,000. And the company said that 200 people took them up on the deal. And also, in the early 2000s, lots of websites started paying people to tattoo their URLs on themselves. And a lot of those websites don't even exist anymore, but people still have these tattoos. So there are ones like grownupgeek.com or savemartha.com or drfreak.com, but the E is a three. And we actually, you mentioned this earlier, we did an ironic version of this at our work. So we were like, hey, if you get some of our artwork for our brand tattooed on you, we'll give you free clothes. Uh, only I felt super guilty, so I was like, you don't have to have the brand name in it. You don't, just use yeah, our artwork. Yeah, and we gave away so many free clothes. And we gave away so many free clothes. Kids got our art tattooed on them, but it kind of was just, like, tattoo flash-looking stuff anyway, so yeah. I didn't feel really guilty. Yeah. But it was still pretty, like, uh, post-ironic It was dystopia. just, like, referencing this. It was referencing this, but I think in maybe a more ethical way, I would hope. I mean, whatever. You just sick. get, like, a little cartoon devil I drew sick. on I you mean, or something. If you really like a brand. Right. Why not? Yeah. Um, and But these people, too, like, the, the person was, like, drfreak.com tattoo. That's, like, on their forehead. So this tiny. guy has it on his forehead. Ours would be, like, get it an inch big on your knee if you want. I know want. you told somebody, somebody, you were, like, you told a bunch of people no because their ideas were too crazy. Yeah. What they wanted to do. I didn't want to scar them for the yeah, rest of their I life. <laughs> I was, like, don't do yeah, that. Don't, don't do that, that to yourself, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this, to me, this whole trend of, like, trying to figure out how the body could work as a billboard in the early 2000s really feels like a precursor to influencer marketing, as we think about it. Um, let the algorithm animate your body. Let the algorithm animate your body. Exactly. It's something born out of this, like, weird marriage between personal identity, celebrity endorsement, and the internet. It's like this, the timing was perfect for it. Um, so then the question I naturally go to next is, like, how effective is this? How effective do you think it is, Lizzie? Well, I think that it's the same thing where it's, like, when you see the name of a brand over and over and you're, like, in the aisle at, like, the grocery store, are you going to buy the thing that you've heard of or the thing that you've never heard of? Are you going to go to drfreakwith3.com or are it, you going to go to goldenpalace.com? You know? Yeah, you're going to check I it think, out. I least. think it, well, for sure you'd probably look it up if, yeah, you'd probably look it up if you saw that. Yeah, the if you guys want to Google the goldenpalace.com forehead tattoo, it's intense. But in terms of it working, I'm sure a lot of this doesn't lead to, like, next day sales, like, in, like, a huge way. Well, it's some of like, it does. Yeah. The short answer about this all is that it is really, really effective. Cool. Uh, sponsored content makes brands a lot of money. And I think it has something to do with the fact that regular advertising makes people really, really unhappy. 
Yeah, I mean, people just skip it. Yeah, so the University of Warwick, uh, Andrew Oswald over there and his team compared survey data on the life satisfaction of more than 900,000 citizens in 27 different countries from 1980 to 2011, with data also on annual advertising spending in those nations over the same time period. That feels like data freaking. Yeah, it kind of is, but it's interesting. Um, They found, though, that the higher a country's ad spend was in one year, the less satisfied its citizens were a year or two later. (laughs) (laughs) But their conclusion is, like, advertising makes us unhappy, which to me, I'm just like, I think capitalism makes people unhappy. I I think think that's, that's, what is it called, p-hacking? Yeah, it's when you're, like, just splitting the data however you can to prove your point. But they're missing the overarching thing, which is that if you live in a place where people have to spend a fuck ton of money to sell people shit they don't need in order to survive, you probably live in a place where it's really hard to survive Mm -hmm. and you're probably pretty unhappy. But I think this is, like, a pretty interesting concept because even though they did it in a weird way, I think they landed on something kind of correct, which is that most people don't super love ads unless the ads themselves are an art form, like Super Bowl ads. Well, because they're boring. Because they're boring. They're not engaging. (laughs) And they sometimes make you feel like shit. Yeah. You're like, I can't afford that. Why are are you you showing me that? Or or they'll be like, are you bloated? And you're like, I don't know. Yeah. Am I? Maybe I I am. I don't know. Um, but yeah, as like advertising becomes more pervasive and invasive in Western capitalist culture, right, the burden falls on advertising agencies to try to make these ads feel as little like ads as possible if they want them to be effective. So this is like research led by a cognitive scientist named Mark Changizi at Rensselaer uh, Polytechnic Institute. And it shows that the most effective advertisements are, yes, the ones that consumers don't even realize they've seen. And that's why sponsored content, right, branded content created by popular internet personalities most of the time, but other people as well, that's why it's been so effective. Because it's pretty normal for online personalities to talk about things they like or things they use all day. So if a brand can pay an internet personality to seamlessly slip their product into an otherwise non-addy type of content, customers are less likely to get the ick out from it. And research shows that people remember branded content twice as long as they would remember a traditional advertisement. Yeah. Right. So the new goal in advertising then, in an online space especially, is to use influencers or even regular people to create ads that don't feel like ads. And we have some data about how this works. So 92% of people trust recommendations from other people over just what a brand would tell them. And this is where the power of some sort of endorsement from just like any other person comes in, either by a famous figure or a regular person doing word of mouth style advertising. And that's why sometimes you'll see ads now that have fake influencers in them. Like Hello Chef will have somebody who's not a real influencer pretending like they're an influencer being like, I love this Hello Chef thing. Blah, oh, blah, yeah, blah, but blah. because there's so many influencers that you would, no one would even know. No one even know it was a fake influencer. Yeah. Also, I think it was HelloFresh. So if you're HelloFresh, don't sue me. If and that wasn't still you. send free food. And send me free food. Yes. Um, also, word of mouth advertising retains customers 37% better than other methods of advertising do. So yeah, the more you make an ad feel like it's word of mouth, the more effective it's going to be. And who is obviously poised to give these word of mouth style recommendations for products? Yeah, it's people who have large social media followings because they already have an audience built in that likes them and trusts them. These are social media influencers. And 72% of Gen Z and millennials follow social media influencers online. That's like so many people. And 58% of millennials in particular will watch ads if they support their favorite digital personalities as long as the content feels authentic and entertaining. 
And 50% of millennials also will trust product recommendations from influencers, which is 12 percentage points higher than for celebrities even. So you're more likely to like like the weirdo goth chick who shows you how to do eyeliner on YouTube than Kim Kardashian. Totally. You, I mean, you trust her. You trust her. You trust the eyeliner chick more than you trust a Kardashian. And 33% of Gen Zers have bought a product based on an influencer's recommendation in the past three months at the time a survey was conducted. Have you bought something that an influencer told you to buy? Who told you to buy that? The Guardian. Yeah. It was um, an ad. It wasn't an influencer, though. Whoa. It was an ad, because I was looking at gardening stuff, and then I got a targeted ad, and then I became obsessed with it for, like, a year and a half. Right, I know. And then I finally just got it. So that's my indoor hydroponic garden. If you follow us on Patreon, you've seen pictures of it. Um, has an influencer ever convinced you to buy something? You know, I don't think so, but I also don't shop that much. Yeah, that's true. Like, I'm not a shopper. The only thing I really spend money on is food. Like, I like to go out to eat dinner once in a while, and I like to, like, buy a fancy cocktail once in a while. Um, But I don't... I think the closest thing to an influencer telling me to do something would be if somebody who is vegan on the internet was like, this vegan thing tastes good. Then I'd be like, okay, I'll try it. Somebody said it tastes good. Um, But that's because I buy food. Right. Have you? No, I I don't really... I, I mean, I buy a lot of stuff, but it's, like, really only, like clothes on depop right well you got on depop because of bella because of Mm -hmm. internet girls that's kind of one yeah i guess that is kind of one yeah um yeah so like what type of content do these influencers need to create to be the most effective at spreading this like fake word of mouth style recommendation so it's going to be branded content that speaks to the influencer's life and their typical online like presence it can't be that weird so a nielsen report found that this type of branded content though if done correctly results in 86 percent higher brand recall in the people who watch it which is massive almost doubled and uh instead this thing they call like a pre-roll ad which is just like an advertisement that pops out that only has 65 percent brand recall Hmm. so it's way higher also branded content videos had a 62 percent more positive reaction from viewers than regular commercials yeah. Which is probably why those places use, like, fake influencers to make fake commercials. Yeah. Uh, branded content is also 22 times more engaging than display ads, which is massive. Yeah, it makes sense, though. It's not, yeah. It'd and, be more surprising if it was, like, more engaging than the influencer's normal content. I guess that would be, yeah. Um, After exposure to branded content, though, users are 14% more likely to seek out more content from that advertiser. Okay. Yeah, so I feel like when Tabasco sent me all that shit, and I made this video, like, Tabasco did a funny thing and sent me more Tabasco than a person could ever possibly fucking use, that means that everybody who saw that post, they would be 14% more likely to be like, let me see what Tabasco's up to lately. Yeah, I mean, I guess I did look up Tabasco after that. Well, I looked up Tabasco because I wanted to learn about their labor practices, because all these people in Louisiana were like, actually, Tabasco's a pretty good job here. And I was like, what? Um, And because of all this shit and how effective this is, Experts in marketing think that branded content online is going to grow 500% by 2025. You don't think people are going to just start tuning out everything and just not even go on their phones anymore? I mean, I would hope so. Maybe there's, like, the ad blinders pop up, you know, but, like, for this type of content. But the thing is, people who are really good at it are, like, subtle. They're tricky. Like, Mm -hmm. you won't even know. Like, if... If I were unscrupulous, Tabasco could have paid me to post that funny thing. They didn't. I'm bad at business. But, you know, if they had, you wouldn't know it. Yeah. And that's a problem that people are running into on TikTok in particular, is that it's hard to know what's a TikTok ad and what's not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So social media influencers are getting really, really good at producing this type of content in this engaging or organic way that makes it hard for people to know if they're watching an ad or not. So that's why in 2022, the influencer market in the United States was valued at over $16 billion as an industry. 
and it just makes sense like 74% of people already are using social media when they're making purchasing decisions so one in four marketers are using influencer marketing already as like a main linchpin of their marketing efforts because of it and on average businesses will generate six dollars and fifty cents in revenue for every one dollar they invest in influencer marketing which is a pretty huge ROI and in 2022, influencer marketing spending jumped from around $3.6 billion to $4.14 billion in the US. So it's like growing every single year. And 81% of marketers are saying, yeah, it's because this influencer advertising definitely works. Uh, now today, 72% of major brands say they're dedicating a huge portion of their marketing budget to influencers alone. 89% of marketers who currently engage with influencer marketing are like, yeah, we're gonna maintain the same investment or increase it in 2023 compared to last year. 92% uh, of marketers believe that influencer marketing is an effective form of marketing. And in 2022, 39% of marketers invested 10 to 20% of their total advertising budget into influencer marketing alone, wow. which is massive. So this is like a huge part of marketing as an industry. And by 2019, nearly three quarters of Gen Z and millennials in the US were following these influencers on social media. And the majority said that they trust influencers more than they trust their favorite celebrities when it comes to advice about brands or products outright. They were just like, yes. And they're not ashamed to admit this. And it's not even something that's happening subliminally for some of these consumers. Well, it's also like, it is on the influencers a little bit because it's like embarrassing if you do an ad for something like really, really stupid. Like it's right. like if you did an ad for flat tummy tea, Oh, we ruined my you, life. Yeah. There's no so way. It's like, so it's like, there is more accuracy. accountability yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, also, this is what's really interesting to me. 86% of Gen Z and millennials surveyed would s themselves post sponsored content for money if someone offered it to them. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, yeah, everybody's broke, obviously. And 54% said they would become a full-time influencer as a job if given the opportunity. And meanwhile, 17% of British children in one recent survey said that being an influencer would be their dream job when they grow up. I'm sure. Um, so this led me to the section I just called in my research, and what about the influencers? <laughs> and this is the most intense section, I think, of this whole thing, because I have a personal relationship with mm -hmm. it, right? So, sponsored content obviously has to be put out in the world by somebody. And back in the day, yeah, you'd use a celebrity. Maybe the paparazzi, like I said, would photograph, like, Britney Spears or Paris Hilton wearing your t-shirt while high on cocaine after a night of partying. And that would be your advertising. And you're like, yes, we got product placement. Woo! That's your sponsored content. Um, but, yeah, today, that's just, like, even though you could do that or you could do, like, the things in the movies or whatever, the most accessible way for people to do this is just through social media and mostly through Instagram. So you don't need a celebrity to do it. You don't need a huge budget to do it. You're just going to find a teenage girl in her bedroom in like Montana and she's going to do a really good job as long as she has enough followers. And this is where all the influencers come to play. Uh, so Lizzie, you know that I'm a big defender of influencers in general, yeah. right? Yes. I'm very team influencer. Um, like lots of people are always like, I could be an influencer if I wanted. All I have to do is post a bikini pic online and I'd make I so much money. No, I but think about this a lot. I think about this all the time because I'm like, I've taken pictures in my underwear and bikinis and posted them online, it's not easy. Like, just because you're in your underwear in a bikini doesn't mean people are going to like the photo. No, nobody cares. Yeah, nobody it cares. It takes really special skill, and you have to, like, curate a whole brand. Exactly, right? Like, the reality is that influencing is this, like, highly skilled laborer. These girls are usually replacing entire ad campaign teams. They're replacing models, stylists, hairstylists, makeup artists, photographers, art directors, and they're usually doing it from their fucking bedroom. 
Uh, and not to mention all bikini pics are not created equal, right? There's obviously a lot of bullshit about beauty standards and like wealth that's playing into it. Like there's this co-founder of an influencer agency called Viral Nation who said, yeah, we've seen some fashion brands that straight up won't work with bigger girls. The landscape is kind of shitty in that way, especially for young girls. The fastest growing influencer industries are beauty and fitness, but that doesn't mean it's not possible. There's a lot happening on social that promotes body positivity movements. And there's a demand for these types of influencers now more. But the other thing on top of the beauty standards to contend with is access. So this guy's like, look, a couple of guys just reached out to us and their thing is that they're just really, really rich and they have 20 cars that are like Lamborghinis, Ferraris, McLarens. Everyone wants to be a luxury car influencer, but these guys already have access. They already have the car. So yeah, of course we're going to sign them. They're going to kill it on YouTube, basically. So he said this in this interview and the interviewer responded by saying, okay, so you're more likely to succeed as an influencer if you're privileged. And he was like, yeah, a lot of times, yes, which is what sucks about this industry. That's what it's coming down to. But, you know, aside from the obvious privilege makes everything easier, like in every industry, aside from the beauty standards and the wealth, there's also, yeah, like skilled labor that does play into this. Like you have to take into account the lighting and the composition of the photo, not even in a traditional photography way. Like this is something we talk about a lot at work because you're a trained photographer. Yeah, photography, nobody likes photography. Yeah, so if you have something that's like a technically good photo on Instagram, it's not going to get as many likes as something that has like flat and even lighting. But I feel like um, you have to, like, be really specific when you say this, because then people are just, like, I feel like it's, like, hard to explain, but it's, like, literally the photos that, like, get the most likes are, like, a picture of, like, like, a headless woman photo, where it's, like, not photography at all. Right. It's content. It's, like, yes, yeah, literally There's a difference. just, like, a, a really casual iPhone picture that, like, makes no sense at all. And the lighting has to be, like, you can't see shadows. Yeah. It's really even. It's really boring. It's really accessible. But it is this very specific thing you have to learn. And even somebody who's trained as a photographer won't necessarily know what makes a good Instagram photo. They're totally different skill sets. So that Viral Nation dude was like, yeah, being an influencer is hard work. It's actually a full-time job. And you could be working at it for four years before you even hit it big, like, full-time. Or you could never. Or you could never. So I think about this a lot because I looked at my own Instagram after this and I looked at pictures of me specifically in bikinis. And I found my highest liked photo in a bikini had 37,000 likes, mm -hmm. but my lowest liked from the same year had 2,000 likes. Um, Was your highest liked photo a bikini photo? No. Okay. But the bikini photo that was the highest liked got 37,000. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so same person in both photos, me, same body. But the setup of the image, you know, my hair, my makeup, the actual photo, the framing, the lighting, the location made a massive difference in whether or not people were going to like the photo. And I even found two different pics of me in the same swimsuit taken on the same day that got wildly different likes on Instagram. One got half as many likes as the other, and it was literally just because which way I was facing the light. Totally. Yeah. So... You know, this is, like, definitely a skill, and anybody who's like, I could be famous on Instagram if I just posted pictures of my boobs in a bikini, too. It's like, well, no, you probably couldn't, actually, because it is very, very challenging to figure out what people like. I also think that a lot of it isn't even that people are like, oh, I, I consciously like this more. They're, like, scrolling while they're doing a different activity, and then they're, like, subconsciously more drawn to, like, a brighter photo or like a yeah. flatter lighting photo so what I do when I I'm having a hard time deciding for work I post on our social media for work when I want to know which photo should be first I hold up my phone fast and ask everybody in the room to look and I spin the phone around really quickly and I say do you like this photo would you like this photo on your feed and everyone's like I didn't see it and I'm like tell me yes or no because that's how fast you're going to be scrolling past uh -huh. it and everyone's like oh I guess yes and I'm like okay that's the one that's all you need to know like that's the first instinct thing and these influencers 
are really good at knowing things like this. What makes an engaging photo on Instagram? And that alone is this huge skill set. So all of these kind of influencers who are posting the sponsored content, they fall into these different tiers of celebrity based on their audience size. Do you know about this? Um, yeah. So the three most common types are like the macro, micro, and nano influencers. And some influencers will kind of use their following count to determine their price to engage with them. So like a common thing would be like for every 10,000 followers you have, you charge $100 for a post. Oh, wow. That yeah, but, is so low. Well, but I think it's really high because I'm like, I couldn't charge anything for a post. Nobody's paying me for a post at all. But I think, so, like, a lot of these influencers are, like, sending decks around. Like, you don't try. Yeah, that's true. I don't try. Um, But, you know, from the top down, we're going to talk about influencers mm-hmm. from the top down. So, to start out, we have the biggest influencers in the world, um, but most of them are just celebrities who are already famous doing something else. Mm-hmm. So, it's more like a traditional celebrity oh, endorsement just through their Instagram. Um, so, the top paid Instagram sponsored content poster, did you already see the list? Uh, yeah. Because oh, I was like, going to ask it you just, to guess. Oh, sorry. No, it just feels unfair. Well, the number one guy in the world for influencing is a soccer player I named knew this. Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't know anything about sports. So um, I didn't know I that. I don't know anything about sports, but I used that same data point in a presentation that I gave. Oh. Well, this guy makes $2.2 million per post, and he has around 600 million Instagram followers. And the number two is Kylie Jenner, who makes around $1.8 million per post and has 400 million followers around there. Next is another soccer player, Lionel Messi, who makes $1.78 million per post and has a little under 500 million followers. Selena Gomez is fourth. Wow. And she hasn't released an album through 2000, since 2015, so people think this is, like, the only way she's making money right now. That's surprising. And she makes $1.7 million per post and has a little over 400 million followers. Uh, then number five is my favorite one. It is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Well, he's, like, the most famous person. I had no idea this guy was this famous. Um, because he was in, so The Fast and the Furious is, like, the most watched movie. Okay. This makes sense. So he's got 400 million Instagram followers, and yeah, he's, like, making basically as much money as Selena Gomez and Kim Kardashian. So Kim Kardashian's next, making the same, making that Dwayne The Rock Johnson money, $1.7 million per post, a little under 400 million followers. Then there's Ariana Grande, also making $1.7 million per post, also around 400 million followers. Then there's Beyonce. Beyonce's way lower on this list. Mm. Actually, I guess I wouldn't think she would do any influencer marketing. Yeah, I feel like... I don't know. I haven't really heard about Beyonce for a long time. Yeah. Um, well, she makes $1.4 million per post and has around 300 million followers. Is every post that they do um, a post for money? No. No, no okay. not necessarily. only, like, if they get a deal. Right. But different people have more deals than others. Like, okay. Kylie Jenner and Kim Kardashian do a lot of deals. Yeah. Khloe Kardashian makes $1.3 million per post and has around 300 million followers. Kendall Jenner, same, 1.3 million per post, around 300 million followers. So the Kardashians and the Jenners are really dominating the list, yeah. right? Uh, them and the soccer players and Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who I now know is an influencer. I didn't realize mm. that before. Um, but I think there's, like, a gender thing in here somewhere because I realize that, like, nobody's making fun of the soccer players or Dwayne The Rock Johnson for being an influencer, but they make fun of the Jenners and the Kardashians all the time. Interesting. Right? Like, when Dwayne The Rock Johnson does it, you're like, of course, he's a celebrity. But when the Kardashians do it, you're like, get a real job. Well, but uh, The Rock is famous for being an actor. The Kardashians are Right. But they're, the, but they're, they're, I don't know. The Kardashians are honestly really, really impressive. 
Yeah, they're really capitalisming. They're like the they're like the manifestation of late stage capitalism, and yeah. I think that's what enrages people. And people don't realize that what they're enraged with is the system, not like just these rich people. Totally, it, they're like part. The rich people are operating within the system that like supports and rewards rich people for doing rich people things and they're like i hate these people and you're like well if these people were gone it would just be somebody else yeah yeah like capitalism requires the aspirational people that we all have to say we want to be like even if we aren't saying it um a funny thing is because i've never seen any of the kardashian tv shows either okay one time i saw a picture of kylie jenner online and she had really cute hair her hair was blue Oh, this is really funny. Yeah, and I didn't know who she was. And I was like, this girl has really cute hair. So I Google reverse image searched the picture to find out who she was. And it was fucking Kylie oh, that's Jenner. that's really funny. I know. It was really embarrassing, honestly. Yeah, it was really super bad. embarrassing. Um, yeah. So on top of the celebrities, then we get down to like one tier lower, which is the mega influencers. And these would be people who have over 1 million followers but aren't celebrities. Do you have a list of these? I want a list of these. Um... I only know one person on this list. Is it the guy who made, like, the new uh, candy bars at 7-Eleven? Mr. Beast? Yeah. No, it's me. Oh. I'm a mega influencer. You're a mega influencer? Yeah, because I have over a million followers. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah so, marketers seem to think these mega influencers are making between five and $25,000 per post. Oh, no. I know. I'm not making anything. Uh, Tabasco paid me nothing. They just paid me in Tabasco. I made I a joke that I was going to try to pay my mortgage with Tabasco. I think we should make you a deck. I'll make you a deck, and I'll take a percentage. Okay, love this. My friend Haley is doing this also, by the way, oh. but I just don't think I am sellable. I know, it's sad. Um, According to Hopper HQ's Instagram Rich List, which is a great name for a list that exists, most influencers with over a million followers, though, are charging somewhere between $10,000 and $15,000 per sponsored post. I mean, you're definitely sellable. Do you think so? I'm palatable and sellable? Of course. Of course. I love that support. Thank you. Um, One survey, though, found influencers with over a million followers were earning over $15,000 per month from their social media following. Wow. Which is over three times what I make. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't make any money from the social media part of that. Um, Yeah, because I have 1.6 million followers on TikTok, nearly 200,000 followers on Instagram, and the most I ever made was that diesel thing, 600 bucks for a post. And usually I make $0 per year from this following. So I'm always really surprised, I guess, when people are able to monetize their online followings in any way. Because I'm like, how are you doing this? I don't understand. I think that my deck's going to be better than Haley's deck. Wow, you guys are going to be battling. Uh-huh. Okay, I'll inform her. Uh, according to this one survey, 40% of Instagram influencers with followings that go from 1,000 to over a million were generating income from branded promotions, like sponsored posts. Which isn't most people. That's only 40%, right? But it's still a large minority of people with followings. And the average income for social media followers across the board, regardless of your follower count, was around $3,000 a month, which is mostly just through sponsored content. And that's because 40% of influencers generating an income through sponsored content, that's huge. Like, for example, only 4% of influencers are making money from Patreon or OnlyFans. So, pretty big deal for the influencers, the sponsored content. The next step down is a macro influencer. So these would be people who have anywhere from 100,000 to a million followers. And they also would have like a broader audience. So I have some examples of people who are fall in this category and how much money they make doing this. Okay. So there's a 26-year-old influencer named Achiyoung Agutu who has around 480,000 Instagram followers at the time that this uh, insider interview with her came out. And she earned over a million dollars her first year as a full-time content creator. Oh my God. I know. Then there's Nate White, who's a comedy creator who had 340,000 Instagram followers when he was interviewed, and he was earning $3,000 per post. 
Uh, one influencer with 275,000 followers told Insider that she made $700,000 in brand deals in six months. And then Valeria Hinojosa has 134,000 followers on Instagram and was making between $150,000 and $200,000 per year from this. You're definitely doing something wrong. Yeah, definitely. And everyone I know with a following is also doing something wrong because I don't know anybody making money from their social media presence. Huh. Yeah. I guess I don't actually either. What if it's what if it's a lie? This is what I think. I like don't trust people. <laughs> and there's this whole thing about fake influencers that we're gonna get into later. Oh, okay. okay. So then there's the micro influencers. This is what you talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, more than half of marketers who use influencer marketing, they work with micro influencers exclusively, and that would be somebody who has under a hundred thousand followers. And these people would generate though 60% more engagement than a big time influencer would be. So 44% of marketers say the biggest benefit to working with micro influencers is that it's cheaper and has higher engagement. And 56% of marketers who invest in influencer marketing are working with these, yeah, micro influencers. So Vox said that a micro influencer can make anywhere between $40,000 and $100,000 per year with less than 100,000 followers. Wow. I know, which just doesn't seem realistic to me. Embed Social, though, was like, yeah, micro-influencers can earn up to $800 per sponsored post. And I'm like, no, who is paying what? somebody with 10,000 followers $800 for what? a post? Um, well, but I, mean, I, I do have, like, some firsthand uh, examples of this where I've seen where I've, like, been working with a company and we've, like, hired an influencer and paid them, like, $5,000 or something for, like, a post. Really? Mm-hmm. And was it effective? Um, no. They were just companies with money. I guess so, yeah. And then I also know somebody who works at Amazon Fashion. And you know how um, a lot of those TikTokers have, like, I don't know if it's, like, Amazon wish... They're, they're not, like, wish lists. They're, like... Affiliate lists of, links or something? Yeah, affiliate yeah. links. Um, and a bunch of those people make 100000 a month <gasps> off of the affiliate links. Whoa. Well, okay, I thought this all sounded not doable, but then this hype audit survey found that micro-influencers were earning an average of $1,400 per month from their social media followings with less what? than 100,000 followers. Yeah, so wow. So I don't know how people are doing this. Again, I don't, I know a lot of people with significant social media followings. I don't know anybody making money from it. Um, but two micro-influencers told Insider they were earning six-figure yearly salaries as full-time content creators. And Wynn had around 17,000 Instagram followers at the time that she was interviewed for something, and she said she made up to $48,000 a year from it. Did you look at what kind of content these people make because maybe it's just different because like, it's just like really palatable addy type I think content like a thing where like a lot of people that we know maybe have a lot of followers from like their music or like whatever thing is that they do but maybe these are like professional influencers that are just, i don't like, really have followers from anything i do just from being no, me from outfits oh maybe but it's outfits out- people should want to give you yeah, money because you're posting true. about things that's right true. Um, then there was this, like, couple, Sarah and Safiya Muhammadine, and they had 12,000 Instagram followers on their joint account, and they made $2,500 per year from it, which sounded more realistic, but it's still more than I've ever made in a year from influencing. And this person, Alexa Johnson, had around 20,000 Instagram followers and was like, yeah, I make twenty four grand a year from it in one interview. For how many years, though? Yeah. Some of these people are, like, three or four years Jeez. going. Um, and then, of course, there's the nano influencers. These are people with less than 1,000 followers no. and are still apparently getting paid to make no. content. They said they're oh, making actually, $100 per sponsored post. Actually, I believe that. Do you? Yeah, because... You know rich people. I don't understand how no, rich people it's, work. No, it's not that I know... Or, I mean, I don't know... I don't know what the exact tie is between knowing rich people, but <laughs> definitely, like, 
uh, companies that I've worked for have paid people where I'm like, why are we hiring this person as an influencer? I meant like rich companies, you know? Yeah. 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 Companies with money. Yeah. Yeah. Where they're just like, I don't know how this works. Um, CNBC also said someone with 5,000 Instagram followers, for example, they could make $100,000 a year if they did just 308 sponsored posts. And this one nano influencer named Jordan Haynes is like, yeah, I make like $600 a post. And brands will work with these people because, yeah, their their engagement gets an average of, like, 5.6%, whereas people with a million followers have an engagement rate of under 2% usually. Huh. Yeah. So, I don't know. So, all of this, obviously, you're hearing a lot about it. It revolves a lot around Instagram. And that has to do, I think, with, like, how we think of sponsored content. Instagram is the sponsored content machine now. That's where you go to be advertised to. Yeah. Right? So Instagram was the most used influencer marketing platform in the United States in 2022, and 72% of marketers were using Instagram for influencer campaigns. And uh, this year, that number alone has grown by 4% from the previous year, just on Instagram. And it's usually people in lifestyle and beauty. And the average price proposed from an Instagram mega influencer, which would be somebody with a million followers or more worldwide, was $1,200 minimum in 2021. Oh, my God. Yeah. So by some metrics, experts are like, you could make $100,000 a year, which is 5,000 Instagram followers, if you did 308 sponsored posts per year, if you just charged $325 per post. Huh. But that's 308. That's almost a post a day. Yeah. That's so many posts. But still... um. So this is where we get into the scam thing because Instagram is so synonymous with like influencing and like sponsored content and brand deals. It is rife with scam influencers, which I think is so cool. Oh, like they bought their followers? Yes, but they oh. actually like take it one step further. Okay. Have you heard about this? There's an HBO um, documentary about, about it. About it. Okay, yeah. what is it? No, Say. no, you go first. Okay, okay. So some people just call this being fake famous and the scam yeah starts by just buying followers and likes so you can use these websites like famoid to buy this shit and prices are pretty low like 120 dollars will get you 7500 followers and 2500 likes and these are all bots and it'll trick it trickle in organically over a few days but it, to make like, it look used like to work it doesn't work anymore right? it depends so basically what happens is new sites pop up with new ways of like doing this oh, cool. and then instagram will catch on and then they'll purge and then new people will right. be like oh i found a new way that it beats the instagram yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing so they're always coming up with new ways to cool. do this yeah so it's like they're fighting each other it's like spy versus spy shit so the bots will be algorithms that pretend to be real people on the internet. They're made by hackers and programmers. And they'll scour the internet to steal, like, random identities of people. Like, they'll steal photos. They'll steal names. They'll steal I got bios. a really cool bot the other day. You know the photographer Kathy Opie? No. Okay, she's, like, a, a, a somewhat famous photographer. Um, but, like, not present, like, on the internet very much. And I got a bot using her name because I think I, like, follow a bunch of photography-related stuff. Wow. Yeah, it's cool. It's pretty good. Um, and there were hundreds of millions of these bots online, obviously, right? Anybody who exists on the internet knows. Yeah. We've dealt with bots before. There are bots of me. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're like, the Kathy Opie bot. Yeah, exactly. So this one dude, Nick Bilton, did an experiment, and he was like, I'm going to make a bunch of fake famous people on Instagram. So he just, like, used random people as, like, models for this. So he got this one woman who had 250,000 purchased followers, 
And they just started, like, posting pictures of her as this fake person. And she bought her followers? Yeah, yeah. But it was, like, an experiment. Right, right, right. right. Got it. And she started getting all these organic followers really fast because she had so many followers. So we had this model pose as this famous person and then would do photo shoots just, like, in this chick's backyard. But then would geotag them places like the Viceroy in Santa Monica, which is a resort. And then he also would, like, rent a mansion for one photo shoot for $600 or, like, spend $50 to rent a fake private jet photo studio for an hour to take photos in it to make it look like she was rich and on a private jet and Bilton said that the other people who do this fake famous thing will also pretend like they're getting all expenses paid free trips places because then it actually does lead to other people offering them all expenses paid free traps so people will sometimes even fake the vacations altogether like some people will pay for their own and be like so glad I got this sponsored trip thank you Lufthansa Air but they'll be paying for it themselves but other people will literally just make it up and not even leave their fucking house which is so cool to me um, um that's what Amalia Ullman did do you remember no her? who's that um she she was like uh like the first she's like an artist and she was like the first one to do that project to do basically. this like scammy yeah, oh yeah. that's so cool um yeah so there's like websites and apps you can use that will make it look like you're on vacation places yeah. And then there's other people, like this chick Natalia Taylor has over 2 million YouTube followers, and she's like, oh yeah, I faked an entire Bali vacation just by taking pictures inside of an Ikea. That is so sick. I know, it's so cool. I think this is so funny also because I've seen people do this with our work account, like I've seen people buy things from our company and then post it on Instagram, like hashtag gifted, hashtag, yeah, they'll pretend like we sent it to them for free, and I'm like, we did not send you this, liar, liar, but I respect the hustle, I think it's cool. Maybe we can do this to go on a free vacation. Oh, my God. Yeah, we can make a fake vacation using Ikea pictures. Uh I love Ikea. I think we should do that. Okay, we should try it. Let's do make 2024 the year of trying to make me an influencer for real. Okay. Okay, I love it. Um, Obviously, like, the – so I have the most followers on TikTok. TikTok is, like, an emerging marketplace for, Mm -hmm. like, influencers. And the next place that people deal with this a lot is on TikTok. And somebody was running the math, and they're like, you can make $100,000 a year on TikTok – with a minimum of 10,000 TikTok subscribers, as long as you have 270 million views a year and use the TikTok creator fund. But I'm, like, skeptical of this because most people I know on TikTok say the creator fund tanked their views because the algorithm then started to prioritize non-paid content <laughs> in users' algorithms to save themselves money, oh, which makes funny. sense. It's just a theory. It hasn't yeah. been proven, but lots of people think this is true. But we do have some figures, some facts, right? 45% of marketers use TikTok for influencer campaign marketing now, and it's supposed to grow also 4% this year. And the average price proposed from a TikTok mega influencer, someone like me with over a million followers, was $1,034 in 2021. So it's less money than Instagram, just barely, but it's still pretty good money. And now a TikTok macro influencer with 100,000 to 1 million followers usually receives around 38,000 views on average per video. So for shits and giggles, I ran my numbers. I receive an average of 204,000 views per video. I should be making money. I mean, I think I I feel like I know exactly what you should do. Okay, I'm excited. You're going to monetize me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to ruin my life. I think you should do it for Doll's Kill. <laughs> Maybe I should sell my business to Dolls Kill. Mm-hmm. Would you be down? Uh, and I think it's you our should, business. I think you should start making ads for Amazon. Oh, I can make an Amazon affiliate link. Uh-huh. Wow. 
Uh, some TikTokers are making a lot of money from this shit, right? Like you talked about. Like there's this guy, Adam Millardovic, who used to work at McDonald's and now makes $30,000 a month from TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, you just have to be really good at negotiating and lean into brand deals. And he's like, most of my money comes from Fashion Nova. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> you could do Fashion Nova. <laughs> See, that's the problem is you would say no to all I would of say them. no to all of these. Yeah. Uh, there's also YouTube, and, like, YouTube used to be, like, the glory days of influencing. It'd be, like, well, you only make money influencing if you do YouTube. Do you remember when that was, like, a thing? Yeah, I do. Um, so, according to influencer marketing data, you would only need a 1,000 YouTube subscribers and around 24 million yearly views to generate $100,000 per year of income using YouTube's partner program, which lets you just, like, make money through ads that play on your videos. That's cool. Yeah. Um, YouTube should be more profitable because it like demands more of the viewers time you know it's like they're like more committed to watching it yeah I think though like people watch YouTube like older generations used to watch TV like people just put on YouTube and just like let yeah, whatever keep I've playing never done that before. some people are like really really oh, into yeah, YouTube like, it's like the iPad kids yes but like even like millennials and John Z some people do are like that? I don't but I have friends who do oh. we're just like just let it ride we're just watching whatever comes up on the YouTube feed um, and 28% of consumers in the United States say that they do follow at least one influencer on YouTube. That's over one in four people in the do United you follow States. anybody on? Okay, oh. so I tried to get into YouTube once, and I didn't know how it worked. So I just was like, who's famous on YouTube for me to start? This was, like, years and years ago. And the person who popped up was Safia Nargard? Safia? No so I started watching her videos one day and she like did funny things where she's like, I'm gonna melt all my lipsticks into one lipstick and make oh. one giant lipstick. And if you know anything about that me, I do like this. Vibe, yeah, yeah, I like mix all my condiments into one condiment container and I'm like, it's jumbo condiment so now. Disgusting. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Um so I watched her like I probably watched like three videos and that's the most I've ever seen of uh, a YouTube influencer before. I watched one video of Bunny Meyer, Graveyard Girl. Oh, I guess I've never gotten into, like, the official YouTube influencers. Like, the people right. who have a lot of followers. But there are YouTubers that I like. Really? Like who? Or I guess they're not, like, you. they're just people who, like, post whatever they would post on YouTube. Oh. Like, Brad Trommel makes, like, really cool videos. And, like, he posts... But, I, I mean, they're posted on his Patreon linked to YouTube. Got it. Um, it's like but, YouTube's just, like, the hosting service at that point. Yeah, or, like... They're yeah, not, like, working I, I follow, like, the algorithm. No, I follow a lot of people on YouTube, though. Do you? Mm-hmm. See, I need to, like... YouTube's just a platform I never, like, understood or got into. Yeah, I get that. You know? Um, I saw one video from... Oh, my God. Jenna Marbles forever ago, oh, like, 15 years that, ago. But, yeah, that's, that's, like, why that stuff sucks. And then she ended up doing blackface. And, like, Fred... I don't remember. Yeah, I, yeah, no, but that's the, it's like, what was that other app that was like TikTok where you make like Vine? Yeah, it's like all that stuff was just like, or, or I think I never found like my niche in those. Yeah. So I was like, oh, this app is stupid, but I just never found like the niche. You just never found it. That's yeah. the thing. When a new social media thing comes out, I always have to be like, okay, I'm taking a week to oh, figure it out. Um, uh, uh, the porn star that we like, Liz Vicious? Um, she, uh, had, I can't find the videos anymore, but she made, like, a lot of YouTube vlogs, like, recently. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. The only YouTube content that I really, really liked was Amy Winehouse and Pete Doherty with the baby mice, yeah, but they were clearly one. really yeah. high on drugs, yeah. and then Amy Winehouse died shortly after, it's so really it was sad, sad. but it's yeah. a really good video. Uh, yeah, so, I don't know. People really like YouTube. Usually people go on there for dance, music, and gaming, 
Um, but the people with the highest engagement rates are like micro influencers, people who have, you know, fewer than a million followers. And it is also still the most popular platform to watch gaming influencers in the United States and Great Britain, like still more than Twitch somehow, which is wild to me. And the average price you can make as a YouTube mega influencer per sponsored content post is $2,500. So it's over twice what you make on TikTok or oh. Instagram. So you can make more money on YouTube. And YouTube also still pays the most revenue to creators, which is why YouTubers mm-hmm. are richer than other social media platform influencers. But obviously still, I like, cannot help being skeptical of all of these figures that people are claiming to earn, especially when we know statistically 60% of people with social media followings like me are not doing sponsored content at all or making money so at all. So weird. Yeah, so 51.5% of people with social media followings say they are not making money anywhere with these accounts. So that is still most people. So most people with large social media platforms not making a dollar off of that. But there's like a large minority of people, like around 40%, who are making pretty good fucking money from this. I wonder if a lot of these people profit off of it in, like, different ways, though, you know? Most people are making the money from just sponsored content. Not from having, like, a business that Correct. they're like, wow. Yeah. So Refinery29 did an article about this called Scambition. Influencing is the dream job, but is it really worth it? And I thought that was, like, a, yeah, kinda, that's a cute funny. title. So they talked to this chick, Marissa Mites, who went viral on TikTok in 2021. Um, and at the time that this article was written, she had half a million followers on TikTok and had transitioned into being a full-time content creator after she had a video go viral that was just her two former friends talking behind her back. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, within a few hours of posting this video, I got 100,000 followers and it just went up from there. So she became like a sympathetic character on the internet and then turned it somehow into a full-time content creation job. Whoa. But she was like, trying to determine your entire income on engagement from strangers on the internet is a really difficult process to mentally and physically try to keep up with. A lot of people think of influencers as these awful people who ruin everything, but there's a lot of people who just want to make the world a better place with their platform. And this is kind of when she started. When she was like, whoa, I'm getting all these followers. She started this like foundation to help like people who are lonely and had bad friends try to like connect with each other. So she's like, yeah, some of us are just like good people who are like, oh, this fell into my lap. What can I do with this? But it's still hard. So she went on to say, I have a really hard time sometimes because my content is personality-based. Say I'm having a really bad week. It's like, okay, I don't want to post really sad stuff or just go dark for a week. I have to post something. I'm not a singer. I'm not a dancer. My content is based on my chaotic life. But if my life isn't chaotic, I'm not getting content. And it's a little difficult because you can get lost in that. And then on top of that, she's like, it's also really hard to get paid for the shit, right? So she said, I did a brand deal last December. It's October now, and I still haven't been paid. You never know when you're going to get paid. You never know when your next opportunity is going to come. Um, and I really liked the way Refinery29 was talking about this in the Scambition article because it references this phenomenon that one of my favorite people on TikTok, Pink Williams, talked about once. Uh, Pink Williams was like, yeah, we're all just busking on the internet. Like, we're doing our little song and dance on the street like we're street performers asking for money but online and refinery 29 kind of like 
played around with this idea too of what it means to be an influencer. So they said the past few years have thrown the traditional job market for a loop amid widespread disillusionment with corporate culture, the COVID driven great resignation and an overall desire to escape the hamster wheel. Being an influencer has never seemed like a more appealing job prospect. TikTok's algorithm, which is able to catapult an ordinary person to stardom has changed the game. Influencing not only looks like an easy, extremely lucrative and glamorous career path, it also feels like a middle finger to traditional exploitative capitalism. It's to its disciples, influencing is an alternative path where workers can exercise more control over their lives and carve out their own way to success without the pressure of a soul-sucking nine-to-five looming over their shoulders. And I kind of liked this breakdown of what people think influencing is um, because some people, especially people who live in like rural areas or lack formal job training, will see influencing as like a way they could potentially get their bills paid, you know, especially if they shoot up to fame pretty fast. But what I found is most people, even when they get a lot of followers, they're just kind of stuck in this position where like, now what? How do I do this? Don't join the military, become an influencer. <laughs> right. Upward it's, mobility. Yes, it's the new military. Um, so this kind of idea about like how it works getting paid. Kate Lindsay, who's a co-founder of the internet newsletter Embedded, do you know about this? Mm -mm. Okay, so she talks about this a lot and she says that influencing is more like gig work or freelancing. The pay structure and the uncertainty is uh, very, very similar to how this works. And she's like, basically we need a lot more mechanisms in place to protect influencers, just as you would protect any worker. And this is what I've always been saying, we need to unionize oh, the yeah. influencers. So she says SAG AFTRA is actually one of the few unions that will allow influencers to work with them and you can get money Whoa. put away for healthcare and a 401k. It does add a little bit of structure. Wait, SAG? Yeah, there's like a specific division of SAG. And can you get healthcare? Yeah, you can, but she's like, it's not enough and like we need more safety okay. in ads. So Christina Moore points out also that being an influencer makes it like harder to just live a normal life. Like Christina Moore herself is an influencer and she's like, yeah, banks don't even see my job as real income. She's like, I wasn't even able to get a car loan based on my uh, income from influencing. I had to have somebody write me a fake job offer letter for a position that wasn't even real, that didn't have pay stubs. And that's what they took to qualify me for a car payment or car loan, not like real income. Yeah. So Refinery29, in this article, they're like, look, while this perceived freedom might be the case for some who make their living on social media, there's this dark underbelly that we can't ignore. The ramifications of things like instant fame, uh, confusing likes for validation, a lack of privacy, a blurry line between work and real life, impending burnout, and more often than not, heightened issues with mental health. If your life, your likeness, and your personality are all products that can be bought and consumed, is it really a life worth living? And I like this because I ask myself this a lot and I don't even make money from it. So Kennedy Urich had 1.4 million followers when this article in Refinery29 came out. And Kennedy was like, everything about my life is overanalyzed and people who don't know me think they have the right to scrutinize all of my mistakes and growing pains. I'm very vulnerable with my audience about what I go through because if I can help just one person feel less alone, it's worth it to me to share my stories. But simultaneously, it's still really difficult to block out the noise and repercussions that come with vulnerability. I go through very normal things that other people my age experience too, but I am judged on such a public platform and someone has an opinion about everything I do. And I think about this a lot because in my head, I'm like, I don't think, for example, that I am meant to hear what 1.6 million people think of me all the time. No. I don't think a person is supposed to handle that, right? Yeah. Um, but Christiana Moore, who at the time of the article had around a million followers on TikTok, was talking about this too and was like, yeah, I'm a lesbian and people always assume I'm straight until I say something saying otherwise. So when I announced I was engaged, 
all this came in questions were all over the place i literally had to pump the brakes and be like what am i willing to share on this platform uh because i don't want to be judged on the internet they're going to pick everything apart and she was like it's difficult when there's something you hold really near and dear like your family the person you love maybe your child and it's very easy to be triggered when somebody says something negative negative." and in that moment i realized i had to limit the access that the internet has to my relationship and she also said this thing that was like really sweet and sad to me where she said influencing is so closely tied to your self-worth because in a regular job you do your work and for the most part you can leave it there but on social media your personality is everything so if it's not being received well you have a tendency to feel like you're not good enough and refinery 29 talked about this like clarifying and said despite how difficult the scrutiny and fear of judgment are and influencers followers are the very heart of their career without them and their engagement these high-paying brands wouldn't come knocking creators must embrace their audience because losing them is not an option without an audience you may no longer be relevant and becoming irrelevant is a constant fear for creators so Christina Moore said, I've never even really thought that I had anxiety before this job, but I am constantly fearful at falling off. It's the only job where you get an instant report card. You post your content and it does well or it doesn't, and you're constantly on a high and low of being validated and unvalidated based on how your content's being perceived. It's so draining. I feel like though, like this is the type of thing where people want to be an influencer so badly that like they don't feel bad for influencers and right because they're like well you're so lucky well, but even hearing this it's just like eye roll like oh no it must be so hard yeah and this is what because a lot it is like or go ahead sorry well this is like what a lot of people fought to before they became influencers right. like some of the people were like yeah when i hear people say this they'd be like oh thinking find me a river but what you don't realize is you're like most of these these are workers like every other worker yeah these are basically customer service workers and most of them are making little to no money from it yeah that's the part that's really crazy right so you have some people who are rich right um but mostly those people were rich to begin with and a lot of people are just doing it for fun oh and a lot of people are doing it because they're like maybe it'll turn into something Mm -hmm. or like there has to be a way for me to make this work in the future Mm -hmm. but really they're subjected to this level of like psychological torture and harassment with no pay for the prospect of a job that will pay off in the future it's like a really shitty like years-long job interview with like an abusive boss yeah i mean i've definitely seen it happen with like close friends who are like had like a lot of instagram followers and it's like really psychologically torturing it is and refinery 29 said the mental health ramifications of your job are even more sinister when your work is dependent on whether or not people actually like and accept you as a person adding to that anxiety is the constant wave of ever-changing trends on social media experts have pushed the idea that the true antidote to burnout is finding meaning and fulfillment in your work in your life that feeling may be harder to come by though when as an influencer you essentially turn yourself and your life into a commodity a miniature media company whose job is not only to connect with your audience and be authentic but to sell them things too which is like how do you do that it's impossible right so there's this other article i liked called trying to become an instagram influencer ruined my life um i have the antidote it's like little michaela it's like you just need a team or you yeah you need a team so your account should just be like 15 people yeah that's the ideal but then it's like how are you making sure you can monetize enough to support 15 people right you and they you they need to manage multiple people right yeah so this article trying to become an instagram influencer ruined my life is really interesting because it's just this normal girl who was like yeah that sounds fun and she's like a lot of people right so it's really this story so it focuses on the story of megan gentry and she had something where she was like, oh, it was, like, a lot harder than I thought it would be. Like, it took a lot more time to post a good photo. I'd have to, like, edit it, retake the photo. I'd have to buy props. I'd have to do all the shit, which is, like, yeah, no shit. It's, like, hard, you know? 
she's like yeah I had to get the perfect shot I had to edit it and make everything flawless but whatever she starts to get the small following on Instagram and before she even gets 10,000 followers she does start to get like paid sponsored content offers and deals so people are doing this somehow she ends up even moving from Napa California to New York City where someone at one of the brands she worked with taught her how to use Photoshop so then she instantly started using it to make herself look skinnier in photos and then she realized the skinnier she made herself the more followers she got oh no yeah yeah really 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 bad so she's like well, before I started using Instagram, I already struggled with depression and anxiety, and I ended up developing a really bad eating disorder in this time frame, all for a photo. I wanted to look in real life how I looked in the Photoshop versions of myself, so I sort of let go of everything else I cared about so I could get these perfect photos, get paid more, and work with more brands. And around 2018, she hit 10,000 followers, right? Which is something of a magic number in Instagram world. It's when people start to take you seriously. But along with all the popularity comes harassment. And this is totally a thing I can relate to. The more popular I got on TikTok, the more people started looking for reasons to hate me, um, which was wild because unlike Gentry, I didn't ask to have 1.6 million followers on TikTok. It just kind of happened. But yeah. she was like actively pursuing this, you know? Uh, but people, yeah, either way, whether you ask for it or not, if you have followers, they are going to consume you as a product. They're intrinsically dehumanizing you and objectifying you and relating to you like more of a, an objectified entity or at the very best, a brand or a concept. And people will swear allegiances to and against products, right? So all of a sudden you have people who are swearing their allegiance to you, like you're a Nike running shoe and people who are like, I hate Nike. I would never buy Nike, but it's not Nike. It's you. Yeah. You know, it's a person. And now they're hating you because you've ceased to be human in their minds you've just become another product so naturally gentry's like okay i hit 10,000 followers and i started to get a lot of messages it was really exciting um but then it just also got really easy for strangers to bash me and it got really dehumanizing i was posting my photography originally having fun with the account and it was great but as i got a larger following my anxiety got like 10 times worse i was worried about posting every day i wanted my following to grow but then i just got more anxiety and more hate comments and then she ended up also suffering these major financial setbacks she said I lost a lot of money buying outfits and makeup and facial products and I was always trying to put my best foot forward and I was doing all this with the hopes that I would see a lot of return on that but six months later I ended up heavily in debt hmm. yeah so according to the article the issues facing Instagram influencers are so widespread that this mental health advocate Larissa May created a whole organization for it called half the story with the intention of helping people find these like healthy relationships with social media and Larissa May is like a really interesting kind of therapist or like mental health advocate so she comes up a lot when you hear people talking about like how fucking damaging this is not only for influencers but also for like people consuming this type of sponsored content posting she says people that are spending more than three hours a day on social media are more likely to experience symptoms of social isolation depression and anxiety and brand influencers are virtually spending their entire day on their phone because it's a full-time job so Refinery29 also talked about this in the article, and they talked about the idea of authenticity and how it ties into the monetization of influencing via the sponsored content and brand deals. And they said influencers make money, right, by getting their audience to trust them and using their authenticity as a selling point is an ethical issue within the industry. But it's not something that we have to blame these individual creators for. And that um, co-founder of the internet newsletter Embedded, Kate Lindsay, she said, when you're growing that following, you're growing it because of you, not because of your brand deals. Like when you're starting out, you don't have brand deals, right? And then the brand deals will come later. And no matter how much creators try to make it a seamless integration, you are always going to be compromising yourself a little because you probably wouldn't be talking as much about a product in your everyday vlog. But now you're getting paid to, and that's ethically very difficult. 
So, have you heard of this book, The Influencer Industry, The Quest for Authenticity on Social Media? No. All right. So, this was written by Emily Hund, uh, PhD. So, Emily Hund is like, like most people, they, the influencers, are just doing what they can to get by in this world. Authenticity as a concept is constantly being renegotiated. That's the nature of authenticity. It's a social construct. It's something that's always decided upon by groups. So she talks about online authenticity with this term industrialized construction, basically. And I thought it was really interesting, too, that she's like, yeah, these aren't like celebrities. These aren't people with some grand master plan. They're usually just people who are like trying to get their bills paid and they fell into this. So she says this idea that influencers are truly, truly authentic is very persistent. In my research, I talked to a lot of influencers, and I think the vast majority of them are genuine people who want to do a good job. But the fact remains that they're kind of caught up in the system where they have to fit within certain rules or boundaries that are often decided by others, their followers. And this feels super true to me too, right? Like you can be authentic, but only up to a point. Because if you say anything outside of the mainstream online narrative, the algorithm is feeding your fan base every day, you'll deal with this backlash that just frankly isn't financially worth it for you. So you censor your beliefs to fit what your audience is comfortable hearing right now. You become this like, again, product to be consumed, a two-dimensional reflection of yourself with all of the complicated 3D bits conveniently left out. And also, Women's Health did a really good interview and article about this. Oh, really? Yeah. Weirdly, I also referenced them in another recent podcast episode, so I kind uh -uh. of feel like maybe their journalism is getting interesting. Interesting. Or maybe my baseline expectation of journalism is getting... And what is it? <laughs> okay, so, Women's Health said, um, there's all this pressure to hide your struggles because it's not on brand or good for selling products, and they referenced this anthropologist Brent Louvas, who asked whether being an influencer is ultimately more empowering or more exploitative by saying, are influencers the newly empowered subjects of a democratizing fashion industry or the industry's new pawns subjected to the disciplinary dictates of self-monitoring and self-promotion so intrinsic to the logic of neoliberalism? It's literally exactly like becoming a soldier. It is. And is there any conceivable difference between the two? Right? It's like, is this something that's helping elevate you to this like new status of freedom or... Is it the kind of freedom that can only exist in neoliberalism, which is actually a prison and a yeah, facade? Yeah, it's so dystopian. Yes. And this might be why influencing isn't actually a dream job for so many people who end up with large followings online. Like, you said you knew people whose lives were ruined by having... Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is how I feel, too. Like, I have dreams about throwing my phone into a lake and becoming a barista. I really hope that one day you're able to. Thank you. I'll invite you if I do it. I'll have a ceremony. Mm -hmm. And, like, I don't even make money for my personal show social media following, but now, all of a sudden my personal social media presence is, like, weirdly tied to our job. Yeah, so now literally, like, 15 people rely. Exactly. So now my financial well-being and the well-being of 12 other people <laughs> who work at the business, it's all tied to how likable I am on the internet to a bunch of strangers who don't know me. Yes. And it is so fucking stressful. Yes. Uh... And those people don't even see me as human on the internet. No. You know, the 12 people I work with, those people see me as human. Yeah, and I care about them and like them. And I owe things to them. Right. But part of me owing things to them is to try to be likable online. Right. So this UK-based content creator, Brittany Bathgate decided to like take a step back from influencing after doing it for almost six years and she just got like a regular non-content creation job. She was like I don't want to keep going forward chasing an algorithm and being a vessel for brands. I mean that's what my main influencer friend basically did. Yeah you're just like I'm over this. Yeah. I just want out. I just want a normal job. So she was like 
I feel like morally a lot of what is happening on social media now just doesn't sit quite right with me. Just like things with the economy here in the UK, constant talks about going into recession, the cost of living crisis, all these things. And this kind of industry feels a bit icky to me now. And I just think I'd be so much happier selecting a few brands to work with and just doing my normal job. And that chick Mites, who got, like, a bunch of followers after that video went viral of her two friends right. talking about how much she hated her, she also is like, I tried to take breaks from creating, but in her Refinery29 interview, she's like, yeah, every time I stop creating, I actually feel more lost than I, like, do even oh, no. when I'm doing it. She says, I'm self-employed. That's five to seven days that I went without posting. It's going to hurt me. People and brands are going to look at that and be like, oh, she hasn't posted in five days. That's when the spiral happens because you're, again, basing your worth off of other people's opinions. And the reality is they haven't noticed. I've taken time off from posting and it almost makes you feel worse. And there's one of those terrible, like, BuzzFeed aggregate things where people share their experiences with influencers they know IRL. Have you seen these? Uh -uh. They're, like, super clickbaity. They're, Uh like... What's it really like being an influencer? People who know them in real life say what they think. Oh, cool. There are some good ones, though. So one person was like, yeah, my cousin is a moderately successful Instagram model, and she absolutely hates it. She hates her fans, finds them all cringy and pathetic, hates the drama, only does it because it's the only way she can make money. She dropped out of school, and endorsing products and taking pictures of herself is the only way she knows how to pay rent. Yeah. She's trapped in a prison of her own hotness. That's kind of what you did. Yeah. Me? Do you think so? That's what you did. I don't make any money, though. Well, but, well, to clarify, I mean, we keep saying you don't make any money influencing, but that the whole company is tied to your social media. Yeah, but it's, like, a weird thing. No, I know, I know, because you don't make any money personally, but people know about your brand because of social media. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's weird, because it used to be I used my image less for it, but then when the algorithm shifted for work, now the only pictures that get likes are ones of me. It's also because you made your brand not be your brand. You made it be, like, all of our brand. Yeah. So you also set yourself up, like, once again. Yeah. I just did it all wrong. Yeah, you did did it all bad. I did everything wrong. Um, Yeah, so also this other person on the BuzzFeed aggregate thing of, like, influencers you know IRL, they were like, oh, I went on a date with one, an influencer once, and it was just infuriating. Pleasant enough girl. She was on her phone a lot, though. I had sympathy for her because it's her job, but I felt ignored a lot of the time we were together. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yes. Uh, another person said, well, if you looked at her social media, you'd think she was a supermodel millionaire who goes on a ton of nice trips. She's actually chronically unemployed and has an income of less than $10,000 a year. Her boyfriend makes $60,000 a year, which is enough to afford them a nice three-and-a-half-bedroom apartment, and she has tons of props she can use to make each room look different from day to day, so it seems like she's always in a new exotic place. They take two trips a year for fun to tropical places in which she takes many photos then posts them as different places throughout the year god hacker i did know a girl who was trying to become an influencer and she'd very clearly only gone to hawaii one time and she just kept posting the photos of it and it's been years and now she's like um really like traveling around oh it works yeah it really see works. it works um i know a guy who became a but travel instagrammer she's getting flown around by like guys who thought she was hot though Oh, okay. But still. But still, you're influencing somebody. Yeah, I know a dude who used to be a drug dealer, and then he was like, I'm not a drug dealer anymore. I'm going to be a travel blogger. Cool. And then he used all his drug dealing money to fund him going on these trips, and he kind of did a thing where he acted like, I'm a travel blogger. People send me places. Fake it till you make it. Yeah, and now he's a travel blogger. So it does work, the faking it thing. 
Uh, someone else said, my ex's sister is an influencer in beauty and makeup with over a million followers on YouTube, but she's so anxious and stressed all the time. She's horribly insecure. If she gets some backlash or bad comments, she's so upset and she was on a lot of anti-anxiety medication. And I'm like, that's me. Whole, totally me. Yeah. And in the Women's Health article, they talked to Victoria Paris, who was this influencer who lived in New York yeah. City. You know who she is? And she said that she encountered repeated personal space violations and stalking, and that led to her, her having, like, really intense anxiety and paranoia. So this, like, checks out. A lot of these people have a lot of stress and a lot more stress than the average person and aren't very happy. Yeah, it's, like, as much as a normal celebrity, but then, like, no security team. No security team and no money or hardly any money, yeah. comparatively. And this chick, Victoria Paris, ultimately had to move across the country just to get out of the public eye. And she's like, yeah, I still deal with nasty comments on my posts, Reddit threads dedicated to picking me apart, trauma dumping from my followers and my DMs, and the potential for privacy issues in the future. She said the internet is so emotionally volatile that after being dragged through the extreme highs and lows on a daily basis, I just wake up feeling zero. I know, and it's so sad. And Grace Atwood is this chick who's been an influencer for 13 years. And she's like, we cannot take breaks. Our numbers drop. She says if she stops posting even just for the weekend, she'll notice a 30 to 40% decline in Instagram story views. And any drop in engagement is a big problem because the bulk of her income comes from her social media account and she's paid based on her views. So she says for influencers, taking the weekend off from work means coming back to do the same job on Monday for lower pay. Wild. And Michaela Noguera is one of the most successful beauty influencers on TikTok. She has over 13 million followers. And she's earned a bunch of huge deals and done a bunch of collaborations with, like, just every major beauty brand you can imagine. And she was able to buy a house with the money she made from her influencing career. But she's also like, yeah, I didn't take more than five days off, not consecutively, total, in over two years. It's, it's the same as you. Yeah, I guess. But I do, like, different things. I feel like lately I've gotten really good about taking time off. But I have at least ever... one day off a week. Oh, really? Uh-huh. And you, like, fully take it off? Yeah. You don't respond to text messages about work? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to answer that question anymore. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard, because at our job, it's like, what's the text message about work? Mm, yeah, I don't think you take any time off. Oh, yeah, I might not. I might be on call all the time. Uh... Also, though, because of, like, the personal nature of the job and the high stress that comes along with it, paradoxically, the only way experts say you can survive influencing is to take breaks. And that's where the dilemma comes in. So that Women's Health article was like, yeah, well, job stress certainly isn't unique. The kind of stress that influencers face is particularly vitriolic because they're getting violent threats, verbal cruelty, and it targets also their personal identity. So it's not like you're bad at your job. It's like you're bad. Yeah. And that psychologically is just, like, so much. So Estefania Pessoa, do you know who this is? No. So she's an influencer who had over a million followers at the time of this article. And she was like, people in your comments will talk about you like they're not in your house. And I loved that. Because I'm like, yeah, you're on my phone. Like, you're oh, at yeah. my house right now. Yeah. Like, get out of here. They'll be like, who is this bitch? She sucks and she thinks she's so funny. And I see that on my phone and I start spiraling. Because I'm like, this is really who I am. This is me. And she also said, you're tap dancing for the algorithm and you get nothing. Which yeah. also reminded me of the Pink Williams thing. We're just, like, busking. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, please, pay me something. So Pessoa ultimately reached this point where she's like, I have had enough. The social media feedback loop was making her depression so bad. She needed a break. And she actually has taken one indefinitely. She handed her channels off to her team. So they just, like, like you said, you need a team. This they just like post for her and she's not on the internet at all. This sounds like also everybody that I know who, like, has their dream job. It's like that, what's that quote? Like, you're 
biggest dreams become your worst nightmares. It's like golden handcuffs. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, my other friends who have, like, succeeded in their field, like, want to quit so bad. Yeah, see? That's the thing. I think also it's, like, people need changes. Sometimes you just get so burnt out by things. Yeah. So, she said that she was getting, like, this near constant influx of hate comments, which led her to just, like, hand everything off to the first place. But she's like, I feel so guilty about it. I've heard people get to this point before, and I've been like, oh, that's so dramatic. Like, this is what you're saying. It sounds so dramatic. But she's like, but then I became that person, and I realized no amount of money in the world was worth me looking in the mirror thinking, you're so terrible. So, Hund, who's that therapist who, like, formed that outreach group because she's like the influencers are not okay they're broken she says what we know for sure is that constantly churning out fresh digital material for mass consumption often by sharing intimate details about your life definitely wears on people and jamie zuckerman who's a phd and clinical psychologist based in pennsylvania is like from a neurological standpoint like if you're an influencer you're constantly getting these intermittent hits of dopamine it's like a drug Uh, But when influencers are not using social media, they're experiencing dopamine withdrawal because they're used to being online for hours at a time. Then this puts them at an even higher risk for anxiety and depression than people who don't make a living on the internet. And those people, though, who don't make a living on the internet are also falling victim to the dopamine rush of social media. Then you add money into the mix and you add fame into the mix and this combination just gets like super harmful. So Noguera was like, lately I'm having issues separating the real world and the internet world. It feels like they're merging together and all I have is the internet world and that is kind of terrifying. Yeah. There's also Ziggy Tyler who's a 24-year-old black and queer content creator with over 700,000 TikTok followers and Ziggy says it feels like a toxic work environment. You're sorting through your Instagram requests and it's 95 messages of people just wishing they could kill you. People have told me they want to lynch me. Somebody sent me a screenshot of an old house I used to live in years ago and I have this perpetual feeling of being on edge all the time. Like I'm always being watched. And all of this is for diminishing financial returns. Hund says influencers are paid by brands mostly, right? You're usually not paid by social media companies, even though you're creating all this value for the social media companies. And it creates this huge power imbalance. Influencers are driving traffic to social companies and to brands, both of them, but they're not being offered any stake in the business themselves, nor any benefits or protections. So all of them live in fear of an algorithm changing or the sudden deletion of their account, which is something totally out of your control and really a huge issue on TikTok. Like, my account could disappear at any time on TikTok. And when you add racism into the equation for people like Ziggy Tyler, it gets even worse. Like, Tyler's brought to attention the pay discrepancies between himself and white creators, which also impact uh, creators' mental health. Nearly half of all black influencers report their race contributed to a brand deal offered below market value. There's also a 29% brand deal pay gap between white and BIPOC influencers, and that number expands to 35% when you look at just white and black creators. Uh, So Tyler says, we are literally selling our bodies and our image, and we're not even getting paid. That takes a toll on you. Uh, ultimately, Women's Health sums it up in this awesome way. They said, social media and brands' propensity to use it as a marketing tool is only growing, but experts and influencers agree there has to be a better, healthier way for this industry and influencers to operate. At the very least, there has to be more honesty about what a career online really looks like and the damage that influencing can cause to creators and consumers alike. So, okay, so then the last part I have about all of this is just called, is SpawnCon rotting our brains? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Because, like, what does it do? We know what it does to an influencer, right? You're like, cool, my body is a billboard, and I do a song and dance, and I hope you pay me, and maybe you don't. And also, while I'm maybe not getting paid for this work I'm doing selling your shitty product, people are literally stalking me and telling me they want to murder me and that I'm the worst person on earth every single day, and this Mm -hmm. is my job. And then other people are, like, consuming the content, feeling like shit because they're starting to, like, want the thing that the influencer is selling them, and they can't afford it, and then they also feel bad about themselves because they feel like they're not as good as the influencer or as important or as, like, smart or pretty. Right. Um, and also, it just, like, uh, makes everything about shopping. Right. And then the only people who win are the brands. Right. And, but... But the brands aren't even, like, even the people who work at the brands are still the people, like, consuming and making. Right. So it's not even the brands who are winning. And if you're a small business, it's really, really stressful because you are you become a default content creator. Every yeah. small brand has to be their own content creator. So really the only people who are winning are the people who own the social media like companies. Like Instagram. Um, there's a Tunnel Vision Zine article about that in the next scene. Oh, really? I'm so excited. Um, yeah, so what is the effect of being fed sponsored content by skinny, beautiful, rich people all day mm-hmm. on the internet? What's it actually doing to us? Uh, you know. And it's so addicting that then people, like, don't hang out at bars. They literally hang out at home on their phone. Yes. So, it by its very design, Instagram is addictive. We know this. Instagram, mm-hmm. TikTok's even more addictive than Instagram. But there's been a lot of evidence about Instagram in particular because it's been around longer, so people have studied it more. So people have done, like, studies and found that getting a like on Instagram triggers the same chemical reaction in your brain as gambling and drugs. It's like the gamification of identity. So there's this Dr. Harshal Kuren, who's the medical director at Wellbridge Addiction Treatment and Research, and... This doctor says the same pathways that enable us to connect with healthy behaviors like bonding with others are the same pathways that get co-opted and activated to seek out really unhealthy habits. And Instagram intentionally designed a number of algorithms to ensure the mechanisms of receiving likes is activating that underlying pathway. So interesting, though. Like, that type of degree would be, like, the most interesting Oh, yeah. Yeah. Also, like... There's a lot of debate over how aware Instagram is about what they're doing. Um, but recently, a bunch of leaked documents came out. They're where, so aware. Where they're, like, hyper-aware. Of they're, like, course, more I mean, aware than you even how, think. It's, like, so many... Fa- of course. Yeah, it's of like- course. Um, a 2018 University of Pennsylvania study looked at the addictive nature of social media by observing one group of participants who limited their time on social media to just 30 minutes a day, and then the control group was allowed to just, like, look at it like usual, and then the researchers tracked the participants' social media time automatically via, like, their iPhone usages and, uh, screenshots, and participants would complete surveys about their mood and their general well-being, and after three weeks, they found that the participants who limited social media use said they felt less depressed and lonely than the people who had no limits, hmm. which is really interesting. And psychologist Melissa G. Hunt, again, who conducted the study, said, here's the bottom line. Using less social media than you normally would leads to significant decreases in both depression and loneliness. These effects are particularly pronounced for folks who are more depressed when they came into the study. Uh, but still, in 2019, the average person spent 135 minutes a day on social media. It's also, though, just like when you're just sitting by yourself going on your phone that's obviously going to be, like, worse for you. Like, if you aren't doing that, then you're doing something else. Right, you get bored, and you're like, I'm going to get out of the house. Like, I do this sometimes, these periods where I have a, a month where I only use screens at work. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, and then I, I like... That that. That's yeah, cool. I do it once in a while. I'll do it, like, once a year, maybe. Cool. So then I'll be like, oh, I'm just going to, like, read a bunch of books or, like, do puzzles with my boyfriend or, or like, do that. cook cook dinner and bake dessert afterwards. We should do that 
on vacation. Yeah, that'd be fun. It's really, really fun. That'd be really fun. Um, yeah. And I do, like, resent that phone is bad kind of narrative, because I think it's really reductionist. Yeah, and it is kind of fun. But I do think it's true that the rapid access to technology and the speed of communication now is maybe amplifying or accelerating some of the issues that have always existed in, like, Western capitalism for decades. Because, like, if the phone makes everything more instant, all of the things that you would be experiencing traditionally in capitalism before the phone you're still experiencing them it's just everything's moving so much faster mm-hmm. that you're getting so much more of it yeah so i don't think it's the phone i think it's the, the thing i always go back to which is just like my political opinion can best be summarized by america bad capitalism bad you know yeah. which is like is super reductionist but somehow i stand by that and i'm like no normally that's just the problem but the phone just like gives you so much more of everything like technology is a tool and technology will make everything more of what it already is Right. Like, every tool. And if tech, if society is already isolating and depressing, yeah. then technology will find a way to facilitate making it more isolating and more depressing a mm-hmm. lot of the time. And then there's the issue of comparison, which you were talking about. Yeah. So... Larissa May says, with media and magazines for the past 50 years, we have been comparing ourselves to people on the billboards. Now that billboard, though, is in your hands at all times. You yourself are on that billboard every day of your life, and everyone is constantly comparing themselves. These comparison tactics and thoughts are part of humanity, yes, but social media places a huge magnifier on that construct. And I kind of like that take, where it's like, it's not phone bad. Phones aren't ruining our lives, but... It's kind of taking the issues that were intrinsic to, like, advertising, which this whole idea that, like, you could be better if only. And it's just making you exposed to so much more of it every single day. And this is where those documents that, like, Facebook and Instagram had about their own effect on people's mental health that were leaked. This is where these become super relevant. So the Wall Street Journal posted about this. They, like, ended up with all these leaked documents from, like, Facebook And Facebook had internal documents from their own studies finding that nearly a third of teenage girls who felt bad about their bodies felt worse after logging onto Instagram. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, you remember this. And then um, they themselves were like, it's probably a reflection of targeted advertising and influencer culture. They were like, yeah, it's the influencing. Yeah. So this statistic was also part of a presentation posted to an internal Facebook message board in March in 2020, which added comparisons on Instagram can change how young women view and describe themselves. And a 2019 internal slideshow from a presentation at Facebook was seen by the Wall Street Journal, and it said explicitly, we make body image issues worse for one in three teen girls, <laughs> while another highlighted the way teenagers believed there was a strong link between rates of depression and anxiety and Instagram usage, stating bluntly, teens blame Instagram for increases in the rate of anxiety and depression. This reaction was unprompted and consistent across <laughs> all groups. They're like, we cannot cut the data any other way. Teenagers yeah. are like, this shit is bombing me out. Yeah. And they're just like, whoopsie. Um, and another is reported to have said that 13% of UK teen users and 6% of US-based teen users, teen users trace the desire to kill themselves to Instagram specifically. Yay. So wild. Um, so do you remember that guy who was like, increased ad spending in regions is correlated with decreased happiness, mm-hmm. but we weren't, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a little skepti of his motives, but there's a vibe there, I think. That was different. Wasn't that talking about, like, something specific or no? No, this was yeah. the guy who was, like, when you trace, like, how much money I'm, a country's yeah, spending yeah, yeah. on advertising revenue, the more you spend two I to three years later. I guess I was, like, applying that to influencer marketing. 
Um, yeah, well... I was thinking that that was, like, more traditional advertising. It's advertising in general, yeah. but remember, influencer marketing... Is most of advertising right ...is now. taking up a huge share of wow. advertising in general. Yeah, I mean, well, of course, teenagers seeing people hang out without them... Or not even, like, hang out. Because, like, some of these people, you're just looking at people in their rooms, right, alone. And you, you're you perceiving them maybe differently than they even are. Like, one of the things that's really perplexing that we encounter at work because we sell clothing is sometimes we'll post pictures of people that we know, like, models we work with all the time. And people online will start speculating in the comments about right. what size the person's wearing. Yeah, it's and so it's weird. always so wild. So, like, we have this one model who is in between an XL and a 2X. And we'll post them and we'll be like, okay, this is the model. Here's their measurements. They're wearing a 2X. And and this person knows their size, has shot with us forever, wears the same size in every brand they shop from. They're like, yes, I am a plus size person. I am the smaller end of it. They call it small fat, you know, but still, this is my size for sure. And, like, we had this one video recently go viral and all these people were like, no, that person isn't actually a 2X. They're like a size 10. They're like mm-hmm. a size large or they're a medium. And you're like, you can't guess this person's size by looking at them they know their size right so I think like the thing is like we project onto other people uh, what we think of as being like a a more quote-unquote kind or flattering assessment often than we would ourselves yeah so like if you're the kind of person who values thinness and you look at somebody who's a 2x and you're you're like they look good to me you're gonna be like therefore they can't be a 2x because I value thinness you know um yeah I mean I think it's also like comparing like the whole like lifestyles too though where if you like are seeing people that are like out at a party and you're at home by yourself then you're just like oh I wasn't invited and then you just feel worse yeah I think like the the thing is, like, we just are projecting yeah. our value systems onto people we see online. So oh, this is, like, how everybody kind of, like, thinks that their biggest, whatever their one, like, main insecurity is, they think that everybody thinks about, like, the same thing, and they think it's, like, the most important thing. So it's, like, I, f- I feel like um, people who, like, everybody has, like, their one thing that they're, like, the most upset about. Yeah. Um, so then they, like, focus on it way more than anybody else does like some people like money is like their biggest thing and then they talk about it like way more than anybody else's and like they think that the world like uh or money's a bad example because the world does yeah like like they're self-conscious about like their nose and then they think that like all opportunities that they're not getting are because they're ugly oh yeah yeah yeah. i mean i think that's like the thing though we're like crueler in our own assessments of ourselves than we are of others so when we look at somebody else we think that their life is more perfect more put together that they're more of whatever we wish we were than we are and sometimes there are value assessments that have that are real where you're like this person's life is so much better than mine because they have more friends they have more money they have more this and that sometimes their value but assessments it actually be. but it might not actually be true you're projecting that onto them and sometimes their value assessments that aren't even real like you see this a lot where you're like well i value for example having like, very European features. And this person has very European features, so I think that they're prettier than this other person because of this. And you're like, well, that's actually your... That's that's you coming up with that beauty standard. I mean, it's not just you, right? It's obviously, like, enforced by society and, like, society's idea of what beautiful is, and we've all internalized that, and it comes from these, like, very white supremacist things. But it's like, you don't even realize that you're projecting that onto somebody else, and that might not even be, like, their lived experience. Um. This is also, like, very personal and selfish, but I feel like my appearance is, like, a litmus test for whether people like me or not or how they feel about themselves because I don't think that I'm a particularly attractive person necessarily, 
but it's fine. I'm like, fine. And I also benefit from certain things that are beauty standards in society. Like I have Eurocentric features, European features, I'm thin and I'm white. And those are things that society is like beauty standard, beauty standard, beauty standard. So online, um, I'll get like on the same post, people will be like, you know, you're not actually like smart or good at things. People just like you because you're pretty. And then somebody else on the same post will be like, I don't know why people are even listening to you. It's not like you're pretty. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I'm really just like, you guys are projecting whatever. I'm like a Rorschach test for whatever's going on in your own brain. I think I'm fine and that's okay, you know? But it is like this thing where it's like, yeah, you're whatever you feel the deficiency is in your life, you are projecting onto other people and you are imagining that everybody around you is so much happier, so much richer, so much thinner, right. so much, like, more loved than you because this is what society is telling you are the things it takes to be happy in this world and make it. And, and you're then, like, this person's if, doing it. And then your whole feed, like, on TikTok gets, like, um, it can, like, become fully about your one insecurity. Right, yeah. It's <laughs> and just it, like, like this validates s- that that's, that's the world. This self-fulfilling prophecy, right. Um, yeah, and, like, I think that the way this all ties in to like this thing about advertising and like happiness is that social media under capitalism right has become one and the same with advertising in so many ways like social media is synonymous with advertising and that guy who did the study on advertising happiness he was like our analysis shows that if you doubled advertising spending it would result in a three percent drop in lifetime satisfaction And that's about half the drop in life satisfaction you'd see in a person who'd gotten divorced or about one third the drop you'd see in someone who became unemployed. It's worth wondering whether Western society has done the right thing by allowing large levels of advertising almost unregulated as though it were inevitable. And he explains that the reason advertisements depress us is because of that comparison instinct. We compare ourselves to the type of people who could afford that car, who would fit into that dress, who do have the time to be the super mom in the diaper ads, and we feel less than them, and then we feel angry about it. And where social media was promised to us as a way to connect with people and experience the world at our fingertips as like a tool of communication, capitalism inspired it to evolve just into a giant rotating billboard trying to sell us flat tummy tea and gummy bears for hair growth and using influencers who in another world might have just been like paid entertainers to instead hawk these bullshit products like commercial breaks in between the content that we might actually want to see that they produce. So I think the question I wanted to ask you, Lizzie, to like wrap up this episode is, what kind of world would we have to live in for sponsored content to be irrelevant? Um, I kind of wonder, I've been wondering lately if there's social media, I feel like is getting more and more boring and like almost unusable to me. Um, cause it's just like so much, not like that. It's like so much sponsored content, but there's just like so much stuff that I just like, um, no matter what it is, I feel like you, like, get bored of it. No, I get that, too, yeah. And it's becoming so, like, the algorithm makes it all, like, um, it has to be one thing to fit into the algorithm. The algorithm censors. I I really am starting to, I I didn't always feel this way. Like, I think I I did, like, a lot of my life online, just, like, between, like, Imvu and, like, Flickr and Tumblr. And, like, I would, like, always, like, it's, like, so lame, but I'd be, like, oh, I'd so much rather, like, sit at home on Tumblr than go to a party or whatever, like, be at a party and be, like, going on Tumblr, um, but I don't really feel that way anymore, like, I feel like lately, and it really is, like, a new development, I, like, am having way more fun in the, in real life. Yeah, I could agree with that. I do think that social media has, like, jumped the shark, like, it's become so much about just advertising products, and even, it's boring, yeah. Even not just the advertising, it's just, like, so much that it's, like, 
too much, so everything becomes, like, meaningless. Yeah, I could see that it's oversaturated yeah. and it's underwhelming. I kind of think that it is possible that uh, people will start to go on illness. That would be cool. I mean, it'd be interesting. But then, yeah, you the advertising just shifts, I guess, to, like, a new medium. Yeah. Like, we can't escape advertising, yeah, yeah, yeah. even if the way we engage with social media might change. We were talking about this, how there needs to be, like, a social media platform that does not lend itself to monetization. Yeah. And, like, how do you develop that and what does that look yeah, like? it's only about friendship. It's only about friendship and art. Um, Farmersonly.com. <laughs> Christianmingle.com. Mm-hmm. Dating, <laughs> dating, dating apps. Dating apps are social... And not about sponsored content. They're not, but they're also not about art. Mm. They're kind of like hotornot.com. They're kind of like hotornot.com. Right. And that's kind of depressing, because some people who are like, I'm not getting, like, matches on social media. I must be ugly and horrible and everyone hates me. Mm. I know. Do you think that that happens? I think it happens for men. I think it's, like, if you present feminine, I think, like, dating apps are pretty easy. Yeah. Not, like, for everybody, obviously. Like, if you're, like, a fat woman, for example, you're gonna have to deal with men saying super fucked up shit to you. Or, like, if you're not white, like, you're, like, yeah. like racism's gonna play into all my interactions. I think if you're, like, a moderately attractive white woman, it's probably super easy for you, probably. is my guess. But And then if you're a man, you're just, like, miserable. Like, there's all these, like, Reddit forums that are just, like men talking about how you're supposed to make your profile better so women will actually like you because they never get likes. Oh, yeah. Um, But it's really wild. When you look at them, they're like, well, everybody said I should have photos with all my friends in them. And I'm like, this is the opposite of what all my friends actually like in dating apps. Oh, yeah. I'm like, The advice for men dating on Reddit, like, all those forums on, like, dating advice for men are so funny. There's, like, ones that, like, tell them, like, how to decorate their apartments. Oh, that's smart. It's really cool. It's really funny. I think if I didn't have the job I have now and I could get off the internet forever, I would love to have a service where I decorate people's houses for them. Um, I was on Google Earth. Me and my friend have this, like, Google Earth blog where we just, like, roam the streets. And I saw this storefront in Las Vegas for makeovers. Um, and I sent a picture to Sarah, but, like, uh, it's just, like, a, a business that you just, like, go to the store, and then they give you a makeover. I would love that. I want so that. Cool. I want to do that. That's the future for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like the only way to, like, not have sponsored content around you at all times is literally just, like, a total shutdown of capitalism, because, mm-hmm. like, the only way to fight advertising is to, like, fight consumption, and the only way to fight consumption is to exist in a system where people don't need to sell bullshit things to keep profit rising so that they can have a job. It's like the, uh, church of no shopping. It's like the church of no shopping, exactly. Like, we would have to live in a world where we make things based on consumer demand and need, not one where we make shit first, then try to fabricate consumer demand and need as the afterthought. I you were looking for, like, a fun answer that's yeah that's true that's i think yours is fun though i think yours is better mine is just like depressing because yeah, it's like that's it's true that's we just need a totally different world yeah. that's like got like you a planned even, economy you can't even like say like oh i'll just go off the grid and live in nature because you still just like need stuff you need and stuff you need and you need money and you need you need to pay your property taxes yeah yeah, there's no way to escape the system. But it is just wild. Like, when you really think about this, you're like, why does advertising exist? And you're like, the reason advertising exists is because we make a bunch of shit first, then hope people will use it. Well, it's Which like, is such a waste of resources um, and time and energy. It's also, like, the thing of, like, the everybody 
um, like makes I can't remember what it is exactly, but it's like everybody who makes the most money is like a middleman for something, or like yes. you have to like to like make a business, you have to be a middleman for something. Yeah, that's totally true. Um, Drew, my partner who died, he used to he was always the middleman, right? Yeah, because he had his own line and he was a clothing designer, but he made the most money doing private label for major corporations. Yeah. So major corporations would come to him and be like, "We like your line. Will you make us our own collection?" And he would take these really really low margins, but do all the work. And then eventually what started happening is the major corporations would be like, we don't really need you anymore because, like, now we know the manufacturers and we can just do this. And he always joked, he was like, save the middleman. Like, uh, you're yeah, killing yeah, the yeah, middleman. Yeah. Like, mean, the middlemen are the middle class. Brokers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you need the middleman. If we're going to have a system of capitalism, like, you got to keep all the components yeah. in place. Otherwise, That's you true. need to save the middleman. Save the middleman. Uh, otherwise you need to, yeah, create a system where you're actually just planning how much everybody needs of everything and not doing this whole mm-hmm. try to buy it busking mm-hmm. on the internet song mm-hmm. and dance so people can have things like healthcare and food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like your sponsored content stuff was more fun. Um, I liked yours a lot. I think did we you? just like both did a really good job. I think equally. we did too. How was your? How would you rate your first uh, podcast experience here, Lizzie? Um, I had a really fun time. I don't think I did as good as I could have, but I had a really fun time, and I didn't expect to have so much fun. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that there's no wrong way to do it. I so would come I back. think you did great. You'd okay, come good. back again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, maybe we'll have you Hope back maybe again Kenna will go out of town again or maybe i'll go out of town and it'll be you and kenna Whoa, doing a podcast episode yeah that'd i think be... that's it is there anything else you want to add about sponsored content before we go um no no unless you unless you dear listeners want to sponsor us some content that's a good idea what's your rate lizzie um, a thousand dollars a post. Oh, you'll do a thousand dollars. You'll post anything for a thousand dollars. I'll post anything for a thousand dollars. I would post anything for ten thousand dollars. I would post a flat tummy tea, tea tops. It would only be ten thousand dollars. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. It would ruin my life. I would. I don't know. I hope that you get that offer. Yeah, you know, they I could would like offer. To see what you do with it. I don't know. You know what? I say that, but like the reality is, I have flat tummy tea has offered. To pay me before for and a post. You said no. Like, I actually sent them back a really long email about how, how destructive and problematic yeah. they were from the, u- the universe um, and how I knew the person emailing me. They didn't create flat tummy tea, but they could maybe be aware knew, that again, they were complicit like, in the system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was not good for well, people. It was I'll bad. I'll post it for $1,000. You would post it. I'll drink it. <laughs> I wonder if it tastes bad. It does. It does make you prone to bouts of diarrhea and liver failure. A thousand dollars. A thousand bucks is a thousand bucks. No. I'll drink it. That's the Kim Kardashian lifestyle. Mm -hmm. All right. That's the episode on sponsored content. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Pick Me Up, I'm Scared. If you would like to join us on Patreon, you can find us there at patreon.com slash pickmeupimscared. For $3 a month, you can access bonus content there. But if 3 bucks a month is too much for you to spend right now, we totally get it, and we're just happy you're here. As always, you can find the sources for this week's episode just by scrolling down a bit in the description.